Well, hello to everyone. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Uh, All right. Good afternoon here. It's Greece. Oh, you're it's, in Greece? Oh, very nice. Yes. Very nice. It's five in the afternoon. Wow. My, uh, my wife is Greek. And uh, I actually thought it's what I was going to do uh, last year was I was going to go to Greece and do a history of philosophy while walking around the... Uh, the ruins. If you if you can, please tell. Please. Oh, I would I would love please to. Tell. I would love to. Um, she speaks Greek. She's uh, yeah, she's uh, quite down with the culture, I and um, I would love to love to visit. Christine, oh, you know, think, that's, that's, that's the rough thing about this this COVID stuff is 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 the lack of travel. I mean, it's the lack of travel is is really really rough. So, all right. Well, uh, hi everybody. Uh, good good to see you, Thomas. Good to see you. Oh, you put Greek letters in there, didn't you? I can see a Nicole Nicola. Yeah, we've talked uh, about two years ago in one of your shows. Yes, that's right. We we talked about uh, the challenges of surviving in Greece on a salary, right? No, no, no. No, it was a separate. Was it a call? I, I, I got divorced. Oh, I, got divorced. I have a child. Is he's uh, nine years old now? Uh huh. Excellent. And Excellent. I'm pretty happier. Oh, you were happier after the divorce? Yeah, oh, and okay. he's too. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. Well, um, hi, everybody. Um, we're just, you know, we've obviously been chatting since dawn uh, and um, we've got we've got some new faces here. So for the new faces, if you'd like to introduce yourself, uh, Christoph uh, actually has uh, been a friend of mine for many years and um, has agreed to to join us. So if you'd like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your history, he's actually kind of known in the Bitcoin space. He's like a dude. He's like a, uh, you know, obviously he's up there because the, the major concern of people is what happens if the internet goes down. So he's, as you can see from his backdrop, he's up there with the Tesla stuff, with the Starlink stuff, just making sure it all works. Uh, so it's very nice for him to take off uh, his time from, from making sure the internet beams around the planet from orbit. So Christoph, if you'd like to introduce yourself and um, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, that would be delightful. Sure. Yeah. Just checking in for my moon bunker here. Um... Yeah, so uh, my name is Christoph. Um, as you mentioned, I have been working in the crypto space for a few years um, and uh, primarily in the capacity of focusing on security. Um, so that's that's my main wheelhouse, but obviously I've been involved in investment and uh, been interested in economics uh, fostered through, through your show and all that kind of good stuff. So um, yeah, glad to be here. All right. Uh, nice to meet you. Are you. Everybody knows me, Jared. We've met Tim. We talked to before. Oh, look who ended up in the center of all things. Um, who, who gave us his Greek, Greek letters. Uh, if you'd like <laughs> to introduce yourself, Greek man with beard, please go ahead. You're muted. Oh uh, yeah. You got to unmute yourself. Hello, me. Okay. Yes. My name is Nick. I live in Greece, I'm a pharmacist, and I've bought Bitcoin about uh, 2016. Ah. So we have, of course, a first here. This is a man named Nick from Greece, very unusual, very unusual combination. And uh, Thomas, uh, we talked before, you keep changing your backdrop, man. <laughs> yeah, last out. time I was in the uh, CIA bunker. <laughs> right, right, okay. Uh, Red Pill Songs, good to see you again, brother. How are you? MK, right. we've got, uh, we got, now we've got a bunch of people here who aren't on uh, video. It's totally fine, of course. And um, we've got, I've, I've got a bunch of stuff to talk about, but one of the things I, I wanted to get into is um, 
this has nothing to do with my addiction to gossip in any way, shape or form, but, but just for archival historical technical purposes, we had promised the, the fine listeners that we would be chatting a little bit about the blockchain wars, the history of the battles over control of uh, Bitcoin. And I wasn't part of the Bitcoin community in, in any particular way uh, during uh, this sort of, I guess, sort of close to four or five years where a lot of these battles were going on. All I know is that uh, they, they, they were and, and remained savage. Uh, not, not as savage as the battle between uh, Bitcoins and what are sometimes colloquially called shitcoins, but the battle is, is real. The battle was strong. The battle uh, has, I think, elements of cocaine cult religiosity to it, if I, if I can characterize it that way, which, you know, I appreciate. I mean, I, I love the irrational passion that, that drives these things forward. So um, uh, Christoph was, was around for a lot of these uh, battles. Now, remember, uh, Christoph has a very soothing and calming voice. So um, uh, I will be screaming in the background occasionally just to provide the additional drama. But Christoph, if you'd like to lay out the general story of what happened and, and also so people understand, uh, you know, Bitcoin is not physics. Bitcoin is not something that operates independent of human choice, human consciousness, pressure groups. I won't say it's political because it's not enforced at the point of a gun or anything like that. It's, but it's kind of like language, right? I mean, we all have to at some point agree to adopt certain phrases, right? I mean, I've tried to inject certain phrases into the known universe. Occasionally it works. Most times it doesn't. We all have to agree that we're going to use the word bling uh, for, you know, six months or so, and then maybe it's going to stay, maybe it's going to fade. So language is a living thing. Bitcoin is a living thing, but it does require a general consensus in order for a particular model to move forward. People have to accept it. And uh, in, in that sense, it's very democratic. Uh, but um, if, if you could tell us a little bit about, well, actually a whole lot, if you want, the history of um, what was going on in the Bitcoin universe uh, since, since I guess I was last around. No pressure, man. But, you know, if you could just encapsulate and consolidate all of this into, into one tasty soundbite series, that would be fantastic. Yeah, sure. So, um, uh, and, and, you know, everyone else, feel free to jump in and, and provide corrections for sure. Um, so the, the history around Bitcoin there's a lot of little details there, right? And if you try to go on the web and, and surf around for some of the, the histories there, man, it is really difficult to find a single article that tries to put all the stuff in, in you know, the input, important details. Sort of in annoying. One Could article, you just remember to look it's... at the camera rather than at us? Oh, yeah, I know sure. it's kind of weird, right? Absolutely. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry. So um, it's hard to kind of condense it all into to one, you know, comprehensible article, but um uh, there's a there's a couple important things to, to keep in mind as far as the, the Bitcoin history goes that will help put it in perspective. So one is, you know, there's part of the story is Bitcoin versus the state, right? And so um, we know that uh, going back all the way to like the 80s, there's organizations out there like the NSA, um, you know, GCHQ, all those kind of uh, you know, spy, military, cyber warfare kind of organizations, they've been thinking about the issue of internet money for a really long time and talking about it semi-publicly, right? And they have experts in cryptography, economics, et cetera. And so as the internet was sort of becoming more and more popular, really blowing up, they early on got the idea, like, you know, someone could make an internet money, and the most obvious way to do that would be to create a company to make its own currency, right? And some people tried that. And what tended to happen is that those 
those company-backed currencies that were not pegged to a particular fiat currency uh, ended up getting used by some, you know, less than savory folks for less than savory stuff. And then they got targeted by governments for, you know, for, for abetting criminals, basically. And so uh, they were shut down. And some of those people actually went to jail for having the, uh, you know, the incredible attitude that they could ninch their own currency, right? That's not something that you're supposed to do. But also these government agencies kind of got like, if you, if you combine the background with economics and their, also their expertise in cryptography, they're like, wait, you know, someone could probably use cryptography to create kind of an internet money here that's not necessarily tied to a particular company. Maybe it would be tied to some kind of pseudonymous entity, or maybe it would even be able to um, turn it into a protocol that many people could run on their computer. Um, and I think that became more apparent when BitTorrent came around, um, BitTorrent certainly was in this, this vein of like, um, you know, cypherpunk or cyberpunk kind of technologies where all these people were running the software on their computer and they were doing, some of them were doing illegal stuff with it. They were downloading movies and, and, you know, violating copyright law and all that kind of stuff in a way that really irritated some fairly powerful people, but they had a heck of a time trying to snuff it out. And so, uh, to the point where I think that, you know, a lot of the way that streaming services work these days, uh, there's a lot of conveniences afforded to, to the customers of those streaming services that probably wouldn't be if it weren't for the fact that you can do BitTorrent kind of stuff, right? So that that shaped that industry as a whole. So they got the idea that there would be an internet money coming around. And as soon as Bitcoin was released to the public and you know some of these early sort of cypherpunks were chatting about it on newsletters and all that stuff, NSA, similar organizations were well aware of this technology, taking a close, keen look at it. And they immediately got the idea that like, well, in the extreme scenario, this currency could start to compete with fiat currencies and uh, break up this, this agreement between thieves uh, of, of central bankers that like, yeah, okay, we, we're going to, there's going to be a competition between currencies, but where there's going to be some agreements about how that competition is allowed to happen, right? And ultimately, everyone ends up paying their, their taxes in their local currency, and that gives it a, a specific kind of value that, that you know, ultimately backs that, that currency. Um, and so um, as soon as Bitcoin come, came around, they were studying it, they were looking at how to... Uh, to you monitor such networks, how to disrupt them. They started creating job postings that are pretty you know, publicly out there saying, hey, we want to hire people to study Bitcoin and figure out how to mess with it, right? And so far that hasn't overtly happened, right? And part of that probably uh, goes to the incredible success of Bitcoin being launched and being pretty robust from the get-go. You know, there were some bugs early on that had to be fixed and so forth. And, you know, there's been bugs here and there in Bitcoin, uh, over the years, but nothing that has proved catastrophic. So there's probably some part of that is the success of that, but also, um, you know, probably there's a bit of a waiting game there for them to reveal their hand a bit. And so they're probably building some capabilities to, to mess with cryptocurrencies that they haven't decided to exercise quite yet. Um, now, the other way that you would go as a spy organization at trying to disrupt a cryptocurrency would be to get involved with the people. Uh, it's pretty clear that Bitcoin, and to my knowledge, there aren't any other cryptocurrencies that have surpassed this, 
that is limited in the sense that when it first came out and first during the first few years of its existence, it clearly did not have the capability to support a global economy, right? It needed to go through some software maturation in order to get to that point. So if we're starting at point A and point B is Bitcoin is capable of using the entire world using Bitcoin, right? If, if you need to get from point A to point B, as a spy agency, part of your expertise is to be able to insinuate yourself in the process to get from point A to point B and disrupt that process. And really all you would have to do is stall, right? If you can get people to just not make progress, you've won. Um, and so I, we, we, this is a little bit speculative, but we can probably guess that spy agencies are, uh, you know, doing some sort of effort to, to stall the, the progress of cryptocurrency that, so that they have time to catch up. They're these big, slow-moving kind of organizations, and it takes them a long time to, uh, you know, come, to deal with new threats like, like this, and this is a very new kind of uh, threat on their, their radar. And so um, it's to their benefit to kind of stall that process. Um, I'm somewhat known as like a big blocker, so to speak, in, in the, uh, the crypto space, um, but I'll try to be really fair about how I, you know, sort of present this, this information. I'll try to do it in a neutral way. Big blocker means that one of the limitations that was apparent uh, for Bitcoin initially was like, you can't do a whole lot of transactions per second on the Bitcoin blockchain because there's a maximum amount of data per block that is added to this chain of blocks. And that defines the maximum number of transactions that could be done per second if you're fully utilizing all that space as miners are solving these riddles and, and finding blocks and then using that to include new transactions into the to the record over time. Um, and so I'm one of these people that was sort of in favor of increasing the, the size of these blocks so you could stuff more transactions in there. And there's other people that might call themselves small blockers or something like that. I guess that's a bit of a derogative in the other direction who want them to uh, to stay at the current size or, or be sort of moderately increased over time, or even some people wanted to actually make them even smaller than they are today. Um, there's even that contingency. Um, and so... Um, uh, that, that's a bit of the lingo there is the small block, small blocker versus big blocker kind of divide. Um, so, so people with the spy stuff happening in the background, we, we all know that it's there, but it's, you know, of course, obviously the spies are trying really hard not to be pointed out. Right. And, sorry, and that's sorry, one of their, sorry, sorry, go ahead. I'm, I'm not disagreeing that that is a possibility, but what, what led you to that conclusion? Cause I, I'm not tracking with like the spies are there. Like, Maybe the spies are there, but how do we know if they were or weren't there? Well, I know that the spies have have particular interests with regards to Bitcoin, that they have the capability to um, to get involved in the, the community process. We know from leaks that have happened from the NSA and so forth that they've gotten involved in other uh, kind of uh, software development processes in order to subvert them. Uh, somewhat famously, the NSA... Uh, created and promoted a protocol that a cryptographic standard that is most likely backdoored in a way that the NSA is able to uh, decrypt data that's, that uses that standard. And they pushed it into particular software projects saying, hey, please use this, this standard, right? So, um, uh, you know, that's, that's really just the, the tip of the iceberg if we get into the, the CIA and, and, and some of these other kind of spy agencies. I mean, they're, they're, <laughs> they, they get into 
uh, they get into communities, they get into to companies, they blackmail people, they do all kinds of, of nasty stuff. So um, I don't think there's a person out there who can say this person has been involved in Bitcoin. He's definitely a spy or something like that. I guess he's doing a good job that he hasn't been spotted in that way. But, you know, the accusations have flown around quite a bit. So maybe it has happened, maybe it hasn't, but it's always been this cloak of sort of mistrust, mutual mistrust that's happened into the crypto space. Um, and, and certainly as we got into this kind of historical arguments over how Bitcoin should be changed, um, that's been the backdrop there is accusations and, and mistrust. Does that well, make sense and, to you? I just wanted to mention as well that if, I mean, Bitcoin does really threaten the status quo. And if there was no infiltration on, on a mechanism that really undermines or, or, or challenges the status quo, it would be the first time in, in the history of power that this had never occurred. So um, I, I think the default position would be, yeah, people are really good at ruling us. You know, I mean, we're not idiots and they're really, really good at dividing us and ruling us and, and sniffing out threats to their power. I mean, look what happened to the Liber Liberty dollar, which is a gold-backed currency that just got smashed. And uh, yeah, so I mean, I think the default position should be, yeah, they, they, they may not be very good at the free market, but they're very good at, at, at owning people and uh, very good at sniffing out threats to their power. And um, that's been the big question, you know, is Bitcoin something that they want to transfer their wealth to, in which case it's going to be a, a little more safe, or is it something that they, they not, they're going to want to get rid of as a competitor to uh, what are called the cuck bucks, the fiat currency. And so, uh, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. I just wanted to point out that I think the default position should be, yeah, they're, they're good. At, they're good at this stuff. And this is a a threat to the existing power structure. However, the other big threat to the existing power structure is math, which is that you simply can't create this much currency and have it be sustainable. Plus the people in charge know that it's the end of the run. You know, democracies last 200 to 250 years. Uh, they're always characterized by people voting for extra free stuff at the expense of the future. And that future then closes in. And when you have 40% of all US dollars being created just in the last 12 months alone, you're kind of at the end run. These guys know the history of the Great Depression. They know the history of Weimar. They know the history of the French Revolution. They know this stuff because you know, you've got to study how to keep your power. And so uh, right now, the way that they used to do it was they would simply grab gold and leave the country. Uh, that's not such a viable strategy if everybody's hyperprinting and COVID is everywhere. So uh, are they going to want to transfer their value to Bitcoin and then try and make a go of it there? That's my guess. But sorry, I didn't want to go on a tangent, but I think that the assumption should be, yeah, it's, it's a big threat to the existing system, but it's also a life raft to the value that's been uh, preyed upon for the last couple of hundred years. I'd like to add uh, that we're, we're used to this. Okay. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah we're, we're used to uh, public employees being woefully incompetent. But as an organization trying to, like, in its own way, survive and, and continue ruling, uh, they're not going to put their best and their brightest on the front lines. You know, even in the, 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 uh, the biggest, the, the, uh, the highest positions in, you know, public office, things like that. So there, there is, I don't think we can take for granted that all public employees are in all uh, state organizations are incredibly incompetent. All right, okay, so hi. Christoph, if you uh, want, sorry, Chris, does anybody else wanted to add something? Christoph, there? you had Christoph a nice Fallon? flow and I didn't want to interrupt you. Uh, Stefan, I think they don't really know yet what to do. They don't really know what to do. To uh, put, put their money in Bitcoin or fight it. I, do, I think they do both. Yeah. Uh, well, because there's no they. Right now, they the, do both. There, there's no real they unified, like all one lump of people. There's, there's competing interests in 
the CSA versus the NSA. There's a ton of governments competing against. They're not a, a conglomerate of like one unified, powerful people. Like these are conflict, conflicting interests when we talk about they. Well, there's going to be, uh, there's going to be, I mean, three groups of people as a whole. Those who think the current system can continue, uh, in which case they're going to fight to to oppose Bitcoin. There are those who, I don't know, 50-50, is the ship going to sink? Is the ship going to keep going? In which case, they're going to want to keep Bitcoin as a life raft. And then there are those who genuinely understand that the existing system simply cannot continue and are desperate to keep Bitcoin afloat. Those people will be at battle within the state. And I think that those are three levels of intelligence. And I think that the more intelligent will probably win out. So, sorry, Christoph, if you wanted to continue well, with... Oh, yes. No, sorry, Tim. Yeah. Uh, you, yeah. Nick, you had something <laughs> to say? Yeah, I just want to add in the um, so I just want to echo what Christoph is saying. The like it like as an observer of the conflict at the time, uh, we there was a lot of concern from all sides that we couldn't just let the protocol evolve like any which way. You, it had to be managed carefully in order to avoid like the state being able to interfere. And then, so the conflict at its root was about how do we make sure we're like in the safest, how do we make sure that the protocol is in the safest position relative to like the state trying to interfere with it? And that was the core thing. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I agree, Tim. Even though I think Tim and I are probably likely on opposite sides of the way that the scaling went. Um, we're all brothers in the sense of like that, like, well, <laughs> anyone who's not on the NSA uh, rooting for us uh, was rooting for freedom, uh, separation of money and state ultimately. And the, the how to get there was, I think, the, the big difference between the small and big blockers. I don't know if you'd agree with that, Tim. Yeah. Like, and the, so when you had the big blockers and they were explaining why this needs to be done this way, it, yeah. at the end of the argument, it was, therefore, we will be safer from government intervention. And then the small blockers, like at the end of their argument, they said the same thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. The ones who are in good faith, which I think is most. Now, does anybody want to explain to to me? And and remember, it's been a while since I've done technology. My last my last job, God God help me, in the technical field was a director of marketing. So I'm afraid you have to give me those Scott Adams googly eyes when you're explaining this stuff. If you could step me through why the small blockers and why the big blockers both believed that their solution was protecting Bitcoin. Yeah, do you think the fairest way would be for the big blocker people? I don't know where everyone falls on that, but just try to articulate the small blocker and then get corrected. So we have the fairest steel man version of that. And then, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I'm not on either side of the fence. I tend to be a small blocker when it's cold out, uh, but that's probably because <laughs> I'm rhyming. But sorry, go ahead. I, I'd personally be interested in uh, uh, Christoph continuing where he was going yeah. and seeing see okay. how that wraps up. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, sure. Um, so, um, yeah, so the spy stuff is, is sort of the background, right? So in about 2013, I mean, Bitcoin was kind of growing and, and developing and people are making changes to the protocol slowly over time. Things were going okay. Uh, there, some acrimony had certainly set in already. And part of that had to do with people's original vision for exactly how Bitcoin was going to work. Some people wanted to do like many, many small, cheap transactions on, on the Bitcoin blockchain and had created companies based around that idea, right? So they were pretty invested in it. And other people thought that was not necessarily so wise for, for technical reasons that we'll get into. And so as Bitcoin became more and more popular and, and all these new companies were sort of using uh, Bitcoin, the fees started going up because of this limited block size space. So 
once you start to use up more and more in the blocks and they get more full, now when people are, when they submit their Bitcoin transaction to the network, they have to attach a fee to that to tempt the miners to include that. So it starts to become a auctioning system, a bidding system where you're trying to outbid other people. So around 2013, at the start of the year, uh, typical fees might've been like two cents per transaction or something like that. And uh, it sort of crept up and up and up to the point where it got to maybe like 40 cents per transaction or something like that. And, and some of these use cases started getting priced out of the market where, you know, uh, Satoshi Dice was one of these like famous um, kind of, of companies uh, started by Eric Forges, who's a pretty epic uh, entrepreneur in the space where, you know, people were doing uh, gambling on, on there and, and often in these small amounts and each gamble might be one transaction, right? And so as the fees started going up, those kind of apps were getting priced out of the, the market. And so, you know, people really started speaking up at that point. They were like, hey, we need to raise the block size because that's just the most obvious dumb way to, to alleviate the situation. It's like, okay, we have limited space. Let's just make more space. And, um, and then some people said, well, what kind of precedent is this going to set? Like, are we just going to keep bumping up the space? What if it starts going logarithmic? You know, like what's, what's the deal there? And the other important thing to keep in mind here is um, it's to do with the different roles in the Bitcoin network. So the, a lot of people know about the miners, right? They're solving these math equations. They're doing these big beefy uh, ASIC machines that are dedicated to just doing mining. And some of these operations are huge, you know, and they're warehouses in China with hydroelectric power and all that kind of stuff. The other kind of computer that is important in the Bitcoin network is the, the full nodes. These are people that are running the original Bitcoin software, right? That are validating transactions. And there's, there's a good deal of debate over, um, just how important those full nodes are, but they're they're another part of the network. Let's let's say, and some of the some people really want to be able to run their own full node. They feel that this is uh, core to the security model of Bitcoin. That many people can also validate transactions. You know, they saw in 2013 and on the centralization of mining in a big way uh, in China, places like China where you know, at some point, maybe more than 50% of the mining was happening in China. And that's a special number in Bitcoin because we have the 51% attack where if you get the majority of the, the, the mining power in the network, you can start doing all kinds of nasty stuff with, with the cryptocurrency. So people saw that kind of centralization and, and, and they were worried about that being housed under you know, the Communist Party of China. Maybe they would just swoop in and take all the miners suddenly and do something like that. And so they said, well, look, we, you know, we, need, I mean, we need to be able to validate these transactions aside from the miners. We need to keep tabs on what's happening with this, this Bitcoin blockchain and not just trust you know, a small number of people there. And so there's a, a very active debate about you know, who is important in the Bitcoin network. Was it the miners that were the most important? Was it the businesses? Was it the users? And um, there was a lot of argument over that. And so if we were to keep just raising the block size, that starts to price people out of being able to validate the transactions, right? Because they need to have the bandwidth, they need to have the CPU speed, they need to, you know, have all, all that stuff in place. And you would go from, you know, I could do this on a Raspberry Pi to like, I, you know, you could hypothetically need a supercomputer in order to kind of participate in the Bitcoin network. And some people literally thought, you know, even today they're like, yeah, supercomputers, we'll just have only supercomputers doing this, this Bitcoin stuff and everyone else will, will, uh, find some other way, some some level of trust um, from from there, but they won't be participating directly in the network, validating everything. 
and that concerned a lot of people. So there was a lot of uh, argument over that. Um, so the fees really drove this, this argument. And then um, one of the really important historical things that happened was there was this guy uh, named Mike Hearn, who was a formal, uh, former uh, Google engineer, uh, like really excited about Bitcoin, but pretty uh, overtly not a libertarian, you know, and, and a lot of the people who were originally involved in, in Bitcoin were libertarian folks. Um, a lot of cypherpunks, meaning um, people that were really into cryptography and, and um, evading spying and, and sort of challenging the state with, with cryptography software. Uh, a lot of those people were libertarians as well. And, and this guy came along and he is like, yeah, we're like, we should just do really big blocks. And he just got fed up with the whole like dispute. And he was like, here's my new Bitcoin client. It's called Bitcoin XT. He got a bunch of the companies in the space to sort of back him. And he was like, yeah, we're just going to like, we're just going to make this decision for y'all. And, 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 you know, people are going to run Bitcoin XD for a little while. Um, and, and they're going to stop using the previous client, the, you know, screw the, 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 the huge team of developers that were working on this stuff previously. Like, we're just going to move on without you. And then once you've accepted that we've moved on and we've got bigger blocks now, people can go back and move to your client once you get back up to speed, but like, we're, we're tired of this. And, Wait, so and the, guy, people... the guy from Google wanted to create a new monopoly? Huh. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, but how, how did it, he... That was slightly concerning for some people. But was he, he extraordinarily yeah. persuasive? Did he have a lot of money? I mean, how, how was it that, that this one guy was able to get the architecture to pivot? It wasn't that big of a community back then, and he was just influential, you know? Well, all, yeah. Sorry. Uh, also, you know, Satoshi, when he left, he kind of handed the keys to the uh, Bitcoin core GitHub account to Gavin Andreessen. So Gavin and Treason was like this very notable person who, you know, when he talked, people cared what he said. And he was also like, it was like Batman and Robin, <laughs> uh, Mike Hearn and Gavin and Treason. So when he was on the project also, he lended a lot of like weight to it. But also, uh, I really, go ahead. I really don't understand uh, by making blocks bigger. How do you, uh, how do you control? It's just that uh, some people can't uh, run uh, in their PC, right? Well, I, there's, there's control and there's the spy stuff as well, right? I mentioned the spy stuff. So uh, one way you could, Is there as a spy, is you, could, you could mess things there... up. Sorry, let me, let me finish this. So one way as a spy is you could stall out development. The other thing you might do as a spy is you might try to find a particular weakness in the protocol and kind of steer the protocol in the direction of those weaknesses and exacerbate them, right? So there's the 51% attack. There's other kind of variants of this that involve having uh, control over a lot of miners that are, are involved in, in the Bitcoin mining process, right? And so if you could kind of, um, if you could steer development in a direction where miners would just be hugely, hugely influential, uh, that might put it in a place where states kind of the state could kind of swoop in and take control of the the miners directly because it's always more difficult to hide those right if you if you have some big warehouse that's hooked up to the power and all this kind of stuff you can't really hide that you can't be a secret person in the way same way that you could be a pseudonymous person contributing to the the Bitcoin software you just create a GitHub account and you connect at nothing else to your identity about that and you could you know reasonably get away with that for a while 
Um, and so that was what small blockers thought was like, okay, the spies are getting involved here and they're trying to push us to bigger, big blocks where no one's going to be able to validate transactions anymore. Everything, all the power is being shoveled off to the miners who are going to get swallowed up by the state. And so that's what their, their suspicion was. Yeah. If, if you it, want an example it? of uh, when you grow too big, there's a counterattack. If you look to your top right uh, on the screen, hello. Right. No, it is. It's a big question. Right. Do you go for for sort of big influence and then you get the inevitable blowback? Do you stay under the radar until you're big enough to survive counterattacks? It's all out of war stuff. And the out of war stuff was very I mean, when I was back in the big community, Bitcoin community, giving speeches and meeting with people, uh, this this question of how are we going to grow to the point where we're big enough to be influential and can survive a counterattack? How long do we stay under the radar? You know, how do we grow horizontally or do we grow vertically? Those are big, big questions. And um, personally, obviously, given the price of Bitcoin and its influence now, kudos to everyone, <laughs> all the decisions, um, whatever was made, and, and I find it's fascinating. So thanks, Christoph, and please keep going. But whatever decisions were made, like great decisions, man. I mean, now now uh, Bitcoin is, is worth more than the three biggest payment processors uh, in the world and is dwarfing PayPal. But Love it. The, all right, so sorry. Savannah, if I could argue, make an argument back, so the problem is you're like you're comparing, you're not comparing the seen versus the unseen. Like you don't know what Bitcoin would have been had it gone down a different road. And it, perhaps it could have been a much stronger thing today. I know it's strong now, but I, I, I believe it would have been in an even much stronger position. Right. But it's the old thing that at, at this point, uh, it's not, you know, the forks of the road, so to speak, have already been passed and you got to you know, go, go to war with the army you have rather than the army you wish you had. Uh, so I hear, yeah, of course. And then for every alternate history, and I could look back and say, well, if I'd made different decisions, I'd still be on YouTube and so on. So all of these things are certainly possible, but uh, given that we don't have a time machine, you got to double down and push on. So Christoph, sorry, please continue. Can I oh, ask sure. one, uh, one uh, yeah, please. thing? Is there any real danger that uh, having the 51% of Bitcoin, you can actually attack it? I think... I think it doesn't make sense. And here you want to tell us why. Uh, if you have something valuable and you have the most of it, why attack it? I think you're destroying your own uh, fortune, your own value. Jared? What if that allows you to not control people and you value controlling people more? Or what if, what if the real value to you is ruling people? Okay, so own, own other people. There's still real danger that uh, I think many pools own more of fifty uh, percent of Bitcoin. That correct? That's it's not correct. about the, how much of the Bitcoin in particular they own. It's about how I much think of the mining. Five, ten own. pools. Uh, yeah. Own, okay. Yeah. Own fifty uh, percent of Bitcoin or more. Can they really shut down or destroy the value of Bitcoin? I think they could be temporarily very disruptive, um, and you know who other who knows what other kind of exploits they've been sort of baking up in the the background. I think if state if the state wanted to launch all out against uh, cryptocurrencies, they could be incredibly disruptive and and really set back trust in cryptocurrencies quite a quite a bit if they if they decided to. I think they have that capability. All right. To ask a technical question, the current block size is one megabyte, right? Uh, no, kind of quiet, yeah, MK, roughly, roughly speaking, depending on how you count it up, yeah. yeah. Kind of actually more, but 
what were some of the proposed sizes between these other standards? Okay. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah great questions. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, just, uh, okay, so one thing is I want to mention that big blocks was the original plan, according to Satoshi. The very first question that Satoshi was asked after he posted the white paper was, they said, isn't this going to like be a very like, uh, like bandwidth uh, consuming network? And then Satoshi's response was, he said, if, he said, the way that Bitcoin formats transactions, it can, it can, it can process roughly the same amount of transactions as Visa, in about in blocks that are equivalent to a couple HD movies, and then he said, so going forward, the blocks are small now just because there's not enough, you know, there's no one's doing transactions. But going forward, even if they get up to Visa levels like thirty thousand a second, uh, the network is going to be able to handle that fine, and. And then in other places, Satoshi just never, like, it was always, from his perspective, going to be like gigabyte blocks or terabyte blocks. And then it was after he left that people changed the narrative and talked about different, like, attack vectors. You know, so when you, for me, when I first got involved, I read the white paper, I read all Satoshi's messages. And I thought that we were all like on that plan and that made sense to me. And then when they change it, I'm like, this doesn't make sense. And then, so they're doing something new. The president was large blocks. And then the new thing was small blocks. So they're changing it. I didn't move. They moved. You know? Yeah. Uh, I would agree with that interpret- interpretation, generally speaking, but to play devil's advocate, I mean, Satoshi is not God, right? He's... He's not the master of all things cryptocurrency design. So he had a great design initially, but it's perfectly reasonable that other people would come along and notice some some issues with his original design and uh, modify it or, or, you know, sort of urge a kind of conservatism around those those issues. So I, I guess yeah. as a I'm not sure that it, it serves as a great technical principle to argue against uh, small yeah. blocks necessarily. I can. I completely agree with that, that if people say, hey, this aspect of what Satoshi said isn't right, we need to make a course correction. I completely, that makes sense to me. But one of the things that was like very common in the core community at the time was they said, if you are trying to change things without getting 100 people, 100% of people on board, you're like a villain, like you're an attacker. And then I'm like, I don't, that doesn't make sense. But even if it did, you're the one trying to change it. You're the one changing it. And then you're saying, I'm changing it. No, you know, like, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, there was a tremendous amount of dishonesty uh, in, in the technical arguments around that time. Unfortunately, that doesn't necessarily recommend the best pass forward, you know, if, technically speaking. But yeah, there is there's a lot of subterfuge and, and deception happening during that time. And Maybe it was because there were other entities involved, or maybe it's just because people on the internet are generally jerks. Um, you know, we don't know. I mean, I see this as if the fees get high enough, people will respond. And if this is the easiest way to reduce the fees, you'll get to the point where you don't have another choice, right? Even to transfer between your own wallets, you know, like Bitcoin you own, if you have to pay that much to move it between one wallet of yours to another one, People are going to start looking at other options, right? You know, yeah. I, what about I, the Lightning Network? network? Well, well, no, I, was, I was going to say, I uh, 
so from working at Coinbase, I've got some, uh, some maximalist friends. Uh, it's just a, a chat group I've gotten there. I'm, I'm the only one who's not a, a diehard can we, maximalist. Can we just, can we just and, not poison the well against people who think Bitcoin is the most viable path forward? Let's just say, okay, there's like- Wait, well, hold on. Well, I, I, I'll finish and you're, you're welcome to go. That's fine, yeah. There, just, so. there you go. Yeah. Um, so, uh, sorry, where I was going with that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've got all these maximalist friends and- uh, was the other day I'm, I'm like reviewing the chat after every once in a while, like the conversation comes up. I'm the only non-maximalist and uh, they uh, someone mentioned like, oh, yeah, you know, we might even, you know, we might also increase the block size. And I was like, you mother expletives, if you increase the No, you are stuck. I'm, I'm, I'm hyperbolic. But I'm like, no, you get one megabyte forever. You don't ever get to touch the block size. I'm like, if you're going to increase it now. Oh, my God. After everything that that's caused. Okay, sorry. All right, that's my dad. Yeah. Please go ahead, Red Pill. Yeah, I'm just gonna say, like, I mean, there's, there is. I consider myself someone that thinks. I mean, I'm a maximalist, but I think that it's the most viable path forward, guys. And and I get the, I get where you're coming from about the past. Um, I wasn't there as intensely as maybe Tim was, um, but you know, ultimately, the market has really spoken. You can you can really look at the way the prices have gone, right? Um, it's not the only way to measure these things. I could think of about eight metrics of measuring it, but it's really, it's, it's spoken that way, but I really, I appreciate the narrative that, uh, that uh, Christoph had going. And I think we kind of interrupted him about four times. Um, oh, but if I could just say one more thing, the, like, so yeah, the past is the past, right? There's no reason to just keep going over it besides yeah. for that. It's informative for people to understand why, like there's yeah. hard feelings about it, you know? Yeah. One of the reasons, one of, I don't just like, I can narrow down the two, like the two big reasons why I'm still kind of like not e easy about it. Like, and another, one of them was, I'll just go to the big one. The big one is there was massive censorship on the main forums for Bitcoin at the time. Like, I, I think we'll get into that. I, yeah. I, just, I know Kristoff is probably gonna get, you know, okay. cover some of that stuff. <laughs> Just oh, you're right. And maybe, maybe Tim can uh, refresh my memory on some of that stuff as well. Um, but it, what was Tim, what was it about the censorship that, um, that's yeah. still stuck in your crawl? <laughs> so uh, everybody was on, you know, bitcointalk.org and uh, our Reddit, or I'm sorry, our Bitcoin on Reddit. And those two forums were controlled by the same person. And like, it, there just was like a day where if you made any point about the like the original like uh the original plan for scaling you were just deleted like every single post that was pro on-chain scaling got deleted and everyone who like articulated that position well got banned from those forums like if they i remember Thamos was his name or is his name and he said uh, I remember the, the Bitcoin XT, they banned the entire thing because they said, you're talking about an altcoin. <laughs> like there was no debate. Like the way that they won, I don't know if they would have won like outright if there had been a debate, but there really wasn't one because they banned everybody. Well, Tim, I, 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 that, 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 that absolutely happened. And there was lots more uh, censorship of, of discussion <laughs> that in, in the technical debate. I guess my question, having had a few years of separation from that whole stuff is like, how much did it really matter, right? Like, is it possible that uh, controlling a few particular venues of discussion of something 
ultimately decided the the results of the way things went? I don't think so, right? Like there's so many stakeholders involved. The vast majority of people who use Bitcoin never heard of any of this stuff. They don't know about Bitcoin talk. They don't know about the the Bitcoin subreddit or the BTC subreddit or Famous or you know any of these people, right? Like how much does it really matter? I don't think it matters. I don't think it ended up mattering a whole lot or, or as much as people were really focused on at the time. Maybe you have a different view. I would agree 100% with Christoph's what Christoph said. And ultimately, like, I mean, uh, to point, Tim's point about like we're changing it or who who's changing it. Ultimately, though, it's the code is the law and the, the code ha- would have had to have changed to en- enable a larger block size limit. So status quo was code wise, at least, uh, was let's just keep it the same. Um, and that's kind of what ended up going moving forward. So if just Joe Blow that just uses Bitcoin and saves in it, um, isn't really thinking about it, isn't involved in all those forums that you guys mentioned, um, he wouldn't have necessarily updated it and wouldn't have necessarily changed it. Uh, because- uh, sorry to interrupt, but just from an entrepreneurial standpoint, I don't care about the banning. I mean, because the banning is not censorship. If, if you're banned, I mean, I say this obviously from my intense personal experience, if you're banned, you can either roll up and go away or you can just, you know, you can start your own forum. You can start your own conferences. You can start get your own funding. You can you can make the case. You can stride center stage Julius Caesar style with your big swing and whatever uh, and make the case. So, it's, oh, I got banned. Therefore, I lost. Come on. It's a, it's a will to power universe. This is not a moral argument, right? This is not a good versus evil. This is a block size argument. This is a technical argument. And so uh, in a non-moral situation, there is simply a will to power. And if you get banned, so what? Just go start your own forum, make the case, uh, go go speak at places, go learn how to become more engaging, uh, go find some some donors if if you need the cash, uh, go set up a GoFundMe to like the idea that, that, well, they got banned and therefore the bad guys won. Uh, in this kind of situation, uh, you know, there's, there's don't strangle hobos. Yeah. I'm, you know, that's, that's, that's a moral argument. Uh, but this, you know, what size should the blockchain, that's just a straight up Nietzschean will to power situation. And, uh, if you've got the forum, which is where everyone is and you ban people, yeah, that's not a moral thing. You don't have any right to use anybody's forum. You just ban them. And then they, it's a test to see how committed you are, you know, how committed are you? And if the people who got banned just kind of rolled away then they weren't clearly that committed to fight back, to create an alternative to, and you want the most committed people to be in charge because that's just what's going to win in the long run in these sort of will to power situations. I'd like to push back on why the censorship and the, or how the censorship and the banning matters, not to say it was seminal in the way things went, is that it's indicative of that culture. Like, as I've always argued from the beginning of the show, it's the people that matter, not the, the you know, not so much the technology, like a, a, a constitution, no matter how great it's written, doesn't mean nothing if the people don't act it out. Actually, Jared, so, sorry. Well, I'll well, 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 give you one sorry, second, sorry. bro. Let me finish up. Um, so it's, so the, when the folks, if you have, do you have this culture of the argumentation or philosophy and stuff like that, or is it, do you censor and push out the side? And I'm not saying it is objectively one or the other for that side, but that's, that's, it's a, a signal in that direction for the community to go that way. So that's how and why, to me, censorship matters. And yeah, but the Go purpose ahead, of uh, the purpose of the oh, sorry, sorry, Bill, the purpose of the organization is to build, not to debate. And if the debate is becoming wildly unproductive, at least in the eyes of the people who want to build, yeah, I can see that. At some point, you can debate strategy until the enemy is pouring over the hill, and then you've got to put your differences aside. And oh, sorry, Red Pill songs you wanted to mention. Fair, but there's consequences. Yeah. 
Yeah, I just sorry for cutting you off so consistently on this call, Jerry. Um, no, I've been reflecting a little bit on the idea of like it's all about the people, and to a certain extent, there's some truth to that. But I think ultimately, like, it's hard to get your head around the idea of Bitcoin. But really, it's not a democracy in the sense of like 51% will decide what the majority do. Um, really, it's about if I run my own full node and I can verify the actual rules of the entire of what I I'm going to make a Bitcoin to be with my own personal node, then it's not like a democracy in that sense. The mine, the way the mining goes is, yeah, if you have 51% of the network, you can kind of decide you have a probability of being able to push the network uh, for a while while, while you control 51%. But when you run your own node, you, you have to verify it's very binary. Do I accept this transaction into my node or not? So it's, it's not a democ- democratic in that sense, um, which is hard to really think about. It's actually hard to get your brain around because we're so used to the idea of a democracy being 51% rule. Yeah, I, I hate the idea of democracy, like voluntarism. If you don't, well, yeah, you're yeah, a minority totally. and you think it's better to do it some way, go yeah. off on your own and do it that way. And that's what, that's what it is. Yeah, that's, that's sort of true. But also, I think that might be a little bit overglorified. Um, you know, if if some bank comes along and decides to put one billion dollars, invest one billion dollars into pushing uh, Bitcoin development in a certain direction, it's going to go in that direction, right? Uh, they can they can find a way to spend one billion dollars to uh, to have a tremendous over amount of influence over what people think and what they perceive as the the best course of action. So, yeah, there's there's a there's there's a tremendous amount of meritocracy involved in Bitcoin development, but uh, you know, let's not overly romanticize uh, the the extent to which that's the case. After well, all, there's, there's, sorry, the interesting uh, thing to mention as well, okay. I, I hope at least, is that yes, human beings are corruptible. Um, human beings are greedy. Human beings will censor others. Uh, that's that's okay. exactly why Bitcoin needs to exist. Like if if you had a pure community of altruistic, selfless, uh, non-censorious human beings, you'd put them in charge of fiat and we'd all, you know, live with that. So the fact that there's, quote, corruption within the Bitcoin development community or the boards, it's like, yeah, that, that that's a very real fact. Uh, all, all human beings are susceptible to corruption. Uh, and that's why Bitcoin exists. So the very reason uh, that the corruption is there is the very reason which makes Bitcoin so valuable, um, because it does it, it does the most of any currency in history to resist that. Other, yeah, than whales, other than whales moving Bitcoins into exchanges to signal a sell when they, they just buy the dip. And we'll get to that in a second. All right, so Christoph, if you <laughs> okay. Bitcoin is for Real, real question. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Real question. After all these years, after all these attacks, can you really believe that there's any chance any... Yeah, you uh, you're going to have to repeat that. that. You froze out for a sec. Sorry. And I'm just back. Okay. After all these years and all these attacks, can you really believe that there's still a chance that someone can destroy the value of Bitcoin in some way? Well, and is that larger than an asteroid hitting the earth and destroying us all? Because, you know, there's risks in everything. Is it is it larger than the chance of you being stung by a bee or being hit by lightning and dying of, you know, whatever, right? I mean, is it larger than you being hit by a bus, right? So, yeah, the, I mean, I would imagine there's theoretically some risks, but um, I, I well, just, uh, the sun the sun could explode tomorrow, but, you know, Christ, we're going to really? have a plan like it doesn't, right? Now, devil's advocate, uh, what's the incentive on the side of evil to push that, you know? to to make that the case you know how big is it for them what do they stand to lose they've owned they've ruled people since the beginning of time owned them what's the incentive for them to 
corrupt this to destroy this and how successful have they been in the past at doing this thing like the u.s they will destroy it big, they will destroy it when people incentive. buy bitcoins instead of bonds right? that, that's incentive. that's when the big issue becomes right and, and, then, and all i'm saying is we get we we realize that like you're you're acknowledging that possibility and be ready and have a plan to hey we're not married to this one thing we're ready for plan b plan c whatever okay sorry this is a great point um so so the they Sorry. So the J, the they that Jared's talking about here, right? If you look at their interests, right, as a big conglomerate, yeah, it makes total sense. They should be freaking about it ten years ago. However, if you look at any individual, these are just they is just a bunch of individuals, right? They're just people. And any one of their individual game theory, they should be buying Bitcoin and getting off that sinking ship. If oh, I don't agree with that, well, well, yeah, they have inter- a conflict of interest right now. There's a conflict between they. So, we can at least agree. We can agree that there's a conflict between the the conglomerate they and the individuals who compose that they. There's the so, game. Yes. Hold, hold, hold on, hold on, Sorry. So there's the good people. people but, the, but, but, the okay. People so they're looking for banks. Okay. Sorry. So good good people have an interest at the, at their core have an interest to see Bitcoin something like Bitcoin volunteerism those kind of stuff succeed. Evil people have an opposite interest. So we're used to the magical oh. way the invisible hand of the free market works. You know, is that. These people don't have to communicate together, don't have to be organized in any way, shape, or form. They all pursue the same interest, and it all comes together to create wealth, okay, whether we're coordinating or not, okay? And that's because we have this aligned interest of voluntarism and creating wealth, you know, it's, uh, in that, without committing evil. People who are A-okay with committing evil, they all, whether they're coordinating, organized or not, still have an aligned interest to destroy this thing, to harm this thing, to see evil done. Yeah, but even evil people get benefit from buying Bitcoin. That's my point. Like Bitcoin's for enemies. It's not for good people, right? No, that's, that's not exactly true. That's exactly what so I'm saying. No, the influence of people that have the power of the state uh, will will drop massively in a kind of Bitcoin ecosystem. Uh, they, they might still be very wealthy if they get in early enough on it, but that wealth is not going to be able to allow them to achieve the same things that they can achieve right now, right? Um, so I, I don't agree that the individual evil people in the system are incentivized to jump on the Bitcoin bet, Megan. They might hedge against it with Bitcoin. Let's, right? let's, but let's, they, wealth wealth yeah. is not enough for some people. Like for, for most people, it was like, okay, well, we've got some wealth, so that's a pretty good thing. I don't want to control others. But And there's an empirical example all across corporate America. The value of corporate America is being currently absolutely eviscerated by the woke warriors within, right? So they they're willing to completely destroy the economic foundations that give them employment, that give them pensions and healthcare and so on, over their lust for power over others. So sane people, healthy people are like, yeah, okay, having some wealth is a good thing. I don't really want to control others because that's kind of a hassle and, and there's blowback and it means you can't get give, have love in your life and all of that. But it's always amazing to me, you know, people come into places like the NFL or Coca-Cola or all of these woke corporations and they're just like completely eviscerating the shareholder future value uh, of that or people who are like, oh, yeah, no, it's we should all be locked down. But, yeah, you know what we should do? We should grab people coming across the border illegally, not test them for COVID and dump them into communities because so there are a large number of people out there. Their only brief flash of joy is thwarting others and controlling people and wealth will give them influence without power, right? Because wealth, you can offer money to people, but they still have to say yes or no. That's not having direct power over them. And of course, we know that there's lots of millions of human beings uh, out there. They just have this lust for power. Uh, Bitcoin is going to interfere with that. Now, some of those people are like, oh, yeah, I'd rather I'd give up. I'd give up political power in return for $10 million, right? Or whatever they might be able to get out of Bitcoin. 
But there are other people, they simply will fall into a suicidal, catastrophic, nihilistic depression if they're deprived of political power. And actually, if you give them money, it's even worse for them, right? Because uh, you all know the stories of the people who win the lottery, right? The people who win the lottery, nine times out of 10, their life becomes a complete shite storm. And, and they really wish they'd never won the lottery and, and all of that. So for there's a lot of people, uh, wealth is like, a, it's, a bad, it's a bad thing. Uh, compared to political power. And yeah, those people will be absolutely willing. You can't bribe them with Bitcoin to not destroy Bitcoin because they want power. Well, hey, I just, I just want to say one more, just my last thing about being mad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tim said um, every time. I love it. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a group therapy session. Yeah, yeah. this is like a call in show over me. The, um, so when I got in involved in Bitcoin, you know, I remember watching those videos back in the day where you had Andreas Antonopoulos and he was saying, you know, Bitcoin is uh, the Internet of money. It's, it's not going to. And then he said, uh, money is uh, not it's just the first app, you know, and then he, he said, there's all these other things that are going to come with it. We're going to completely reduce how stocks work and land titles work and IDs and and we can even do Twitter and uh like all sorts of different uh, stuff you can do it. And I remember he was said, oh, it's amazing that on the same payment network, you can do large and small transactions, right? And I remember when I was, you know, going around bothering people and, and trying to convince them about it. And I would just add, I would just say, oh, it's the reason why you should get involved in Bitcoin is not just because the dollar sucks, but because Bitcoin's this amazing thing. It can do so much. And then over time, what it could do just got chopped off just taken away little by little. They just took it all, like all those, all that usability, it's just gone to where it is now. It's, you know, they still, they argue, oh, well, you basically can just store value in it. And that's it. <laughs> and as, as saying that there's a software a developer out there who overpromised to beta. Wait, hang on a second. <laughs> hold, hold the phone. I, I, I myself have been guilty of that sin. <laughs> in the past when I was in software. Yeah. So yeah, listen, there's, there's, it's a whole new world. You get your whole Disney song going and all of that. And what often gets developed, it uh, gets developed and, and what the market works with and what gains value is often not what was promised, but yeah, beta sheets are bullshit. Sorry. It's but just if, the way that it works. But if, if I had heard about it back in the day and then somebody said, yeah, you could, the, it's use is that you can store value in it. Then I would have said, well, what's the difference between that and gold? Like we already have something that's a not an inflationary currency that you can store value in. Why doesn't is, this is no? But you're wrong that. about that, and the market yeah. shows that you're wrong because people are not that's buying gold; they're buying Bitcoin, so they don't too. view the two as equivalent. They're not putting fifty-fifty. You can see gold price going down, Bitcoin investment going up. People prefer Bitcoin to gold, so you know gold all bars you can teleport you across the universe in the second. It's gold exactly. bars you can teleport across yeah. the world. Like and this is my life. This is my last it's gold point. bars that fit yeah. in your head that you can walk across a border with with a 12-word phrase. Like, I'm sorry, you try that with gold, you're going to have a bit of a migraine. Yeah, but yeah. I have one last point. I swear, I'll, I'll pause. The, it's right fine. Now, We're all here to talk. Go for yeah. it. I know. I just want to cram it in. The, uh, um, so the current bandwidth, transactional bandwidth of Bitcoin is such is you could just put numbers on it. You could do 100, about 100 million transactions a year through that network. And then there's 8 billion people. If, if Bitcoin grows to that, like to, you know, global saturation, that means that every person could basically do one transaction their whole life. And that's like, this is only going to be used by banks unless they increase the bandwidth. And they give every indication that they're not going to. I'm like, what would it have to look like 
for us to say that the state is intervening, trying to dismantle and slow down and stop. Like, it can't look any more like than it currently is. Maybe one transaction a year on the blockchain, but then you have the Lightning Network too that's in development. Yeah, the Lightning Network requires at least a little bit of on-chain transactions. And if you can't even do that, then the Lightning Network is not going to work either. What, what if it's used for like buying a house, right? Like the assumption here is that this is going to be the one currency to rule them all. It's just going to kill fiat. It's like, no, nope, we got an ecosystem of cryptos, you know, maybe well, this see, one no, isn't the coffee and donuts one. And that's I'm, totally fine. This can be a store of value. If it does that well, that's better than you could say about pretty much any other currency out there. I'm, I'm with you on that to where I'm on like it's crypto in general, but the like where I point out like one of the uh, it can be uh, well, the less desirable side of things is where from the Bitcoin core community, you largely get this attitude that everything else is fraud, is a scam, is wrong, is bad, is is a shit coin, yada, yada, yada. It's like, all right, guys, well, you've now aligned what would be your allies into uh, people who are, who are less motivated to help, let's say. Sorry, um, like we, we, we can't think, I'll just try to articulate the maximalist position here. Um, we do think that you have to scale technically with layers. That's the basic maximalist argument is you can't just like to Tim's point about, you know, only one per year. Okay, let's say we 100x the, the block size. I'm going to finish this complete thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think what you're saying here, Tim, is that, um, you know, if we were able to double, triple, whatever it is, the block size, we get more transactions. And so then it's like three a year, four a year, maybe a hundred a year whatever it is, right? You can't exponentially do that unless, I think Christoph would agree, you raise the cost of running a full note. The ability for me personally to verify all the transactions that are coming in and out of my, my uh, balance myself. So you, there's, there's a trade-off. All, all we're saying is there's trade-offs, right? So yeah, but, yeah, yeah, like yeah. layers a- is one possible solution to that and seems to be working okay. I'm running my own lightning node and it's working pretty well. Yeah, but just just to make sure, like the numbers, it's not that it's one per year; it's one per lifetime. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I didn't mean to mis- misrepresent you. Sorry. Um, sorry, sorry to sound like newbie question. Uh, has these future projections of when Bitcoin becomes the coffee and donuts potential? Has it taken into account extrapolations in bandwidth size and Moore's law for CPU power doubling every eighteen months? Uh, has have well, people sort the- of mapped that out? The, the, the block size is fixed right now. It's not growing with anything to do with Morris Law and, and so forth. So <clears throat> one of the proposals that was out there when people were talking about raising the block size was, yeah, let's try to follow technology, right? So one of the proposals was like, every 90 days, we will allow the block size to grow a maximum of 4.4% if there's demand for that, for that volume to kind of push it up, right? There was a proposal like that. Um, there's many other kind of variants of that. And ultimately it was decided that, you know, that people were not willing to do the hard fork change to the protocol to, to enable that to, to take place. I'd just like to make a couple brief comments. Um, one being that I don't think at this stage, it's important that Bitcoin is able to scale because the technology has, in the whole crypto space, has advanced to a point where you can have bridges and cross chain. So Ethereum recently has uh, created a cross chain for Bitcoin with wrapped Bitcoin. And 
you know, if I'm when sorry to interrupt, say, Isaac, uh, Bridges and Cross Chains. Can you, uh, uh, <laughs> sounds like the name of a Fleetwood Mac album. If you could break that yeah, out yeah. a little bit uh, for, for the listeners, that would be great. So basically, th- there's a variety of blockchains in the space now. And Bitcoin's, it's, it's an old technology. It's kind of slow. It can do around seven transactions per second. But there's, there's other blockchains which can handle much more. And basically, a bridge is where you can transfer your Bitcoin to and from that blockchain. So it's interoperable. So you can uh, sell or send your Bitcoin on various chains. So when Ethereum is able to scale better and deal with more transactions per second, which is hopefully in the next couple of months, we'll see something called ZK rollups come out, which are basically, you know, increase Ethereum's throughput you know, by, by hundreds, by hundreds, you know. So it'll be able to do a couple thousand transactions per second. So you can have your coffee and donuts on Ethereum or on Polkadot or Cardano, these, these various chains which are kind of selling themselves as NRL. So per- and you can, yeah. So, so yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry, like I say, to, to, to that point, like you're making the case that uh, like we have all these solutions in other places. And my contention, my argument was that uh, the Bitcoin core community seems to be at odds with everything else in crypto. And, and now Red Pill Songs, you said, uh, well, it's not our fault that we believe, genuinely believe this is the way forward. That's not my argument as far against that or criticism as far as a technical difference. It's their approach of attacking and. and oh, yeah. OK, right, hold, on, okay. Hold, on, hold on. And Frank, yeah. hold on. And frankly, uh, lying about other projects that they're just their inherent scams and fraud, you know that's like yeah. it's like oh come on that's not good faith at all. Like and that's that's right in the core community. Just to give an example of that, like when the fork happened, you know there was like Bitcoin and then Bitcoin Cash and then everyone in the on the Bitcoin side said don't call it Bitcoin Cash, call it Bcash because we got we have to brand wise we need to remove people's awareness that there's any connection between Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin. Yeah, that there's any shared history or anything. and there's consequences to that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Great. So th- I think we've got it down to so you're salty. The Bitcoiners are very adamant about. I think we're going to win, right? <laughs> I think and get on the shelling point. Come with us. This is the shelling point. Come with us. We're going to win. Let's do it together. But ultimately, you you know there are consequences. If, if personally, you- I'm I'm salty about their their fraudulent lying behavior, their despicable behavior. I mean, people behaved really poorly in a way Wait, that. Sorry, now there's now we're getting any- to the gossip, and and so now <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. we, we yeah. finally reached. The, this so is to be the real Bitcoin attention. core. It's not the technology. <laughs> it's and I'm sorry, but no. So Christoph, like break it down because I mean the ethics of of people who are in charge of this, I mean, I know I made the case, it's like a will to power stuff, but that doesn't mean fraud, right? I mean, that, that's not a valid thing, right? Or, or slander or whatever. So yeah, break it down. How did, how did this play? Yeah, I mean, so um, I had mentioned, you know, Mike Hearn had uh, proposed this Bitcoin XT thing. He got a bunch of businesses in the space uh, to kind of back that idea. And um, that really took the, the, the fight to the, the next level. And I think um, it got to the point where people on on all sides were making a lot of dishonest arguments. They were uh, they got so fed up with it. They were just trying to delete each other's uh, parts of the discussion and and to smear people's names and um, all this kind of stuff. 
And so, um, and there, there was a lot of suspicion about many of the people that became influential kind of late in the Bitcoin core dev process. Um, I hate to pick on a particular company, but you can't really cover the history without discussing a Blockstream. Um, I know people who work at Blockstream. Some of them are, are good people. Uh, I know people who work at Blockstream who are not so great. Um, uh, but that was a company that sort of came late into this space, more into this kind of like 2013 kind of time frame. You know, not 20, not 2009, not 2010, but but later got a big capital injection from some financial kind of bankster type organizations. And all of a sudden they seem to be all over the place, having huge influence in these discussions. And um, some of those folks were making some pretty, um, um, pretty, pretty nasty um, dishonest arguments, some of which I've personally experienced at the time. Yeah, I just, like, I remember with XT, you know, so, you know, it was the first large competing uh, development team outside of the core group. And then, so when people had, you know, there's, it's hard to explain this if you don't know already, but, you know, there's these nodes and then the nodes sometimes will tell you what type of code it's running. And then I remember that if you ran an XT node, you're like you're, you were going to get a DDoS attack. And I remember one story, the, the DDoS attack on this one node was so strong, it knocked out the internet for the entire town. Like the guy thought that his house was like internet was down in his house, but then he goes to the bar and finds out the, the internet's down there too. And the whole town got knocked out. Like you, and then so you, I, and I understand, I completely agree, Stefan. The thing is, we were naive. I was naive, you know? I just thought it was just like this happy community. We're all gonna like in this together. And then just going, no, they're gonna use every single tactic in the book possible at, to win on this issue. And yeah, I just wasn't for, ready for that. Thanks for bringing that up, Tim. The, the DDoS stuff was, was pretty interesting where people were trying to come up with new Bitcoin clients to kind of compete and, and people were actually like doing, you know, cyber attacks against each other to, to knock them offline. Um, on the other side of, of, of the story, when fees were sort of getting driven up in, in 2013 and blocks were starting to get more full, there was accusations that companies on the big block side were uh, spamming transactions to the network to make it look like there was more demand than there actually was. And people did some forensic examination of that and had some evidence to support it. I don't know that we ever got a final answer on whether that actually took place, but it was, you know, it was another thing that, that was in the space. Uh, people even got to the point where they were accusing each other of racism, you know, where um, people were saying like, oh, you don't trust uh, miners in China because you're against the Chinese, you know, stuff like that. Um, so pretty much every possible, uh, you know, crummy, scammy kind of, of, uh, tool was pulled out of the toolbox during this this argument, and um, you know ultimately there was a split in those two communities. I think it's very healthy, you know, that that they they took different directions. I agree, hundred percent. Yep, absolutely. Can I just I say, wanted. To, oh, sorry, can I say a couple of things. Yeah, go for it. Uh, first, okay. Um, I'm, I'm curious, very curious, uh, why people don't care about Bitcoin. I, I mean, I, first, first of all, store of value, it's just fine. Just that. 
Do you disagree? Oh, so hang on. Sorry, we, we're still doing some so, of the history so, stuff. So let's save the big picture okay. questions. I got some stuff I want to bring up later. But Christoph, I don't think okay, we finished okay, okay, the okay, gossip. Okay. I mean, the, the important history of, of, of Bitcoin. So if we wanted to, yeah. whatever you just, can do to bring us up to I'll the current give, day. Yeah, I'll give the highlights, right? And, and we'll kind of speed through this, right? So there was Bitcoin XT thing that fell apart. Uh, that guy left Bitcoin and, and, and told everyone he sold his Bitcoin and sort of left in a huff and, and got into some some uh, blockchain, not Bitcoin type type uh, uh, ventures. Um, and then um, there were more proposals. How are we going to raise the block size limit? There is one uh, that was, we're going to bump it up to eight and we're going to do two. I mentioned the one where there's going to be progressive growth, 4.4% per, percent over every you know few months. Um and, and what really, what we got to this point where um, there was a lot of people that were really passionate about Bitcoin and um, the solving this issue of, of fee congestion or transaction congestion, the, the easiest way to do it was to just raise the block size, right? And because it was so easy and there were so many people that were opinionated um, um, about Bitcoin, right, that were really passionate about it, everyone wanted to give their opinion about it. And we got into what's called in technical communities as bike shedding, right? And so bike shedding is, is a metaphor of like, um, say that you, you're presenting to your, your boss and you want to, if you were going to uh, ask for um, all this money to build a nuclear power plant, right? Uh, versus a bike shed. Well, if you, you you pitch the nuclear power plant, you say, I want a million dollars to build this. That's probably way under, but a million dollars to build this thing. It's such a complex, massive ask that people are just going to, the, the your boss is typically just going to be like, okay, all right, a million dollars, right? Stamp it, right? Versus if you ask them to build a bike shed, well, everyone could build a bike shed, right? It's such a simple, small task, right? So then everyone who gets involved in the decision-making process is like, well, what if you do this with a bike shed? And should there be a swinging door on this side or should it be a double door or should we use this type of screw or that type of screw? And I think we could, we could shave a little bit off of the cost of this bike shed if we downgrade from nickel screws to, you know, that kind of stuff, right? And so everyone, wanted, I mean, we really got flooded with, with opinions at that time about what should be done from people that probably didn't have a whole lot of business in, in kind of getting involved in the debate. They weren't really computer scientists. They weren't really experts in their field. They were just, they were just kind of Bitcoiners. And um, if you look at the, the kind of Bitcoin core uh, uh, discussion groups at the time, and um, we have uh, in Bitcoin a uh, notion of creating publications that explain how we want to improve Bitcoin over time. Those are called Bitcoin improvement proposals or BIPs, right? There's like, all these bips that relate to how we're going to grow the block size. And they took up like a big block of consecutive numbers that were, that were sort of um, uh, allocated for, for this stuff. So it, people came, became pretty obsessed and opinionated with, with it. And it got to the point where um, there was many different uh, views on how that, that was going to work. Uh, companies were getting really fed up with it because they just wanted to resolve the uh, the, the block, the block congestion that was happening and the, the crazy fees that they, per, that they felt from their perspective were, were not working for what, how, how they wanted to use Bitcoin. So in, in 2016, there was actually a fairly unilateral, uh, decision from many of the companies in the space called the Hong Kong consensus agreement, where they said, okay, look, like, let's just, let's like, 
we're going to all get together as, as stakeholders in the space, miners and companies and so forth. Here's how we want to move forward. We're going to, if we can get widespread consensus about how to uh, do this hard fork for, for uh, increasing the block size, we're going to do that. In the meantime, we're moving forward with an alternative uh, means of approaching this, which was called segregated witness or just segwit for short. Um, and segwit, the idea was like, okay, we can get a small temporary bump and how many transactions we can cram into the blockchain by changing what data about transactions being included there. If we exclude some of that data, if we segregate the witness data uh, from, from other kinds of data uh, in, in, in the Bitcoin blockchain, and we can push this out in a way that's sort of an opt-in, right? So if people are still running the old software, it doesn't break their their uh, their their node at all, right? They just it's uh, they they have a little bit less information about those particular transactions, and that was called like a soft fork. I won't get into the whole like technical details about soft fork for hard fork, but basically the idea was a soft fork was something that was gentler, less likely to break the system. That if people forgot to update their nodes or if there was disagreement, they could we could all still kind of move. Forward forward and still be on the same blockchain, whereas a hard fork is like everyone needs to update to this, this latest version. If they're not on the latest version, then chaos happens, right? Yeah, backwards and, compatibility, right? Is very, is, was. Yeah, that's fair to, fair to say backwards compatibility. Um, and so that, you know, at that point, you know, SegWit started moving forward. There was a, a movement online from some hardcore Bitcoiners that they wanted to activate the SegWit stuff them on their own. And like, they were like, they were, they were kind of dismayed that miners and companies were getting together in these agreements and trying to speak on their behalf. So the, there was a user activated source uh, soft fork movement um, that wanted to activate a segregated witness or SegWit in 2017. Um, there was another attempt for companies to get together and like try to push something through. Uh, in in May 2017, they had the New York Agreement, uh, or which people were calling the SegWit two megabyte proposal, right? Um, and and basically what they're saying was, okay, we're going to do SegWit now because uh, this is like the the we'll get a temporary bump out of this, and uh, it's also it has it happens to ha also have some properties that are helpful for the Lightning Network, right? So maybe we're laying the ground to moving over to Lightning Network, putting some of the volume that's currently on the Bitcoin blockchain into the Lightning Network instead. And um, we're also going to bump up to two megabytes with a hard fork as well, right? And what everyone told these people at the time, it, it's, it, it, was, it was a very silly agreement because it's supposedly all these big wigs in business that, that signed this agreement. But it, you could tell just by the way that it was structured, it wasn't going to happen, right? If you say, we're going to do the segment thing, we're going to give the other side what they want. And then uh, a little bit down the road, we're all going to uh, get our side of what we want as well, right? And so what happened was they just got SegWit and the two meg bump never happened. And that's what, you know, everyone was on, on, on the big block side was like, hey, this is what's going to happen. This is, this is obvious, this is ridiculous. And, and, and that's what took place. So, um, and so, you know, once, once that became apparent, like, okay, the other side's getting their SegWit stuff, they're getting their Lightning Network stuff that wants to do two layers, you know, additional layers and stuff like that. We're not getting anything that we want. Then people really started putting their energy into uh, forks. So Bitcoin Cash was August 2017. Uh, there is even another fork off of that called Bitcoin SV, which we don't need to talk about. Um, there was sort of a peak of transaction fees in December 2017, um, where like fees got up to like around $50 per transaction, something like that. Um, and it seems like uh, SegWit may have alleviated some of the pressure there. Some people have suggested like, okay, well, the other reason why fees have gone down is because companies just gave up on Bitcoin. They stopped putting 
transactions into the Bitcoin blockchain. And that's what brought the, the volume down and, and lowered the fees temporarily. And that's in dispute. We don't, I, I don't personally know whether that's that's true or not. Um, I know of some companies that got out of Bitcoin for that reason, but I don't know if it was you know enough to, to make a, a really big difference. Um, and ultimately, this issue hasn't really been settled. You know, at some point, Bitcoin's going to get popular enough where the fees are going to go back up again. And SegWit won't have been enough of a bump to, to uh, permanently alleviate that, that issue. Um, Lightning, um, as design, currently relies on putting at least some transactions into the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, and so the, it, it hasn't been settled yet. They haven't figured out the master plan for how to Bitcoin make Bitcoin Core sort of scale to to world size. Um, maybe that's okay. Maybe we, maybe we don't need it right now. Maybe we have more time to to figure that out. But that's in brief some of the the highlights of what sort of happened there. And um, I think that you know Steph's point was is excellent. It's like, well, what does the market say about this? The market, I guess, has not said that Bitcoin Core made the right decision, but the market has said that if they made the wrong decision in some way, if they made a, a bad decision in some regard, it doesn't outweigh the network effect that's already there for Bitcoin Core. So this is a this is a good enough decision from the market's perspective in terms of where people, what cryptos people are investing into. Yeah, and and um, that was a really balanced overview. I hope we're recording this because <laughs> like you, it's easy to poison the well on either side and and, and kind of. Um, so one interesting thing uh, to add to that is that uh, around the time when they agreed to SegWit and then they were going to bump the size up later, there was an actual futures market that said, okay, what do you want to put your money on? Do you want to put your money on d- double the block size or not? And it was like, it was very clear what the market was saying um, with the futures market that, yeah, we prefer the blocks to stay the same size and we're going to put our money behind that and put actual skin in the game on that. Um, and that's, that's for me. Like, so I, I jumped in right after the rage quit of uh, Mike Kern. And I, I did try to balance the look at both sides. To Tim's point, uh, there might have been some censorship happening, but I legit went on and looked at, what, what are you saying? And I would tweet Craig Wright. Hey, Craig Wright, what do you think? Right? Hey, other guy, Adam Beck, what do you think? Right? And, um, and I came to the conclusion that I think layers are the way to go. And I still think in, in, moving forward <laughs> um, that Bitcoin is such a far, like the market has really spoken uh, and it's such a huge network effect and for a bunch of other reasons that we need to get on the shelling point of Bitcoin right now, whether or not it was the right decision in the past. Um, we need to get on the shelling point and we need to stop pretending that like some coin that someone invented two months ago is somehow going to usurp a trillion dollar monster. Even if technically there's one element is better, the 10 or eight things that go in to make Bitcoin as a, as a network so powerful are not going to be replicated. Um, and I, I know that that, I, like I don't want to be a rude person to the shit corners, but like you're 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 putting your your hey, come on. Earn, I don't want to in the well. Like you're making you're demonstrating the argument against Bitcoin Core. You are acting it out. Okay, I'm a I'm a mean horrible person, but I'm right. I didn't say you're mean. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> hey, do you have any other argument that I'm just mean? Oh, but I would say like Bitcoin when it was a okay, hold on, hold on. No, you have this. If you're irrational, if you're like, be my ally, bitch, you know, it's like, or be my ally, bitch. It's like, yeah, guess what? I'm not really motivated, fucker. Okay. Well, <laughs> it's, it's, it's to your loss, though, Jared. Like, we would love to have you here. That's that's fine. Yeah. yeah. Like, when, when Bitcoin was originally made, it had all, like, we talked about what does using it mean? It had the ability to do prediction markets, 
and stocks and Twitter and like all these different use cases. And people were building, you know, things to utilize that ability. And then as the core developers like removed the ability to do that stuff, all these businesses got shut off. And then, so like, I, I just, I cannot think of Bitcoin as just being a store of value. Like I can say the words, but in my head, I'm just like, how, like I used to go up to people and like, oh, here's a wallet, you know, let's show them how to use it. Isn't this amazing? And then now I'm supposed to go up to people and say, go log into a bank account and just buy it and hold it and don't do anything with it. Right. And like, that's not Bitcoin in my head. I wish we I, could have a hug or something. <laughs> I, I totally get it, Tim. Like, I, I, and, and it's, it's bad that it went other way. Like, let me tell you a story. I think this is a good analogy. I used to go and play at this pub and Justin Bieber's mom would come see me play. And she told me about this kid, Justin Bieber, he's on YouTube and he's, he's singing outside the steps at the Stratford Festival. It's amazing, right? Justin Bieber, check him out, right? And so I like, like I was one of like the first 50,000 people that liked him on YouTube, right? And I could like chat with his mom and have a beer with his mom. But then one day uh, he blew up and, and, and blah, 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 blah. Next thing I know, I'm at, I'm at the supermarket and I'm seeing like Justin Bieber with little heart icons on him, right? He changed and, and the, the network effect around Justin Bieber really changed. And now I can't just call his mom up anymore. And it's sad. And I miss those days. But, you know, that was his destiny to become Justin Bieber. And Bitcoin has had the same kind of growth. And it left out some use cases that maybe weren't viable, like rolling Satoshi's dice for five cents. And it secures a trillion dollars worth of value. We'd love to have you on board with this because you guys were all brothers in the sense that we all want um we all want to see ultimately the separation of money and state. We want to see free people able to transact with each other freely. That's what we all except, want. Except for the CIA spies. Right. We don't want those guys. <laughs> but no, we can't. But Bitcoin's for enemies. We want them too. Everybody's in. Right. We can't exclude. You can't exclude one person and not exclude everyone. That's ultimately the, the math on that. You have to, it has to be a, a fully inclusive network. I How did that work out for the Roger? Reason why, the reason why I ended up going from being a technology guy to being a marketing guy is that when, you know, when you're a technologist and I started as a, as a coder, right? So when you're a technologist, you look at the code and you compare code to code and this code is better, this code is more efficient, this code is faster the, and, and you just get into what's the code and, and that's your measure of quality. And the reason I ended up moving from being a, a, a chief technology officer to director of marketing was because once you've got a good enough code, the network trumps the code. The network trumps everything. Because if you can't get it out there and get economies of scale going and get general knowledge and general participation and general interest from the market, code has no quality without the network. Code has no value without the network. Because people look at the code and say, well, this code is better, this code can do more, this code is faster, this code is more scalable. And, you know, when you're looking at the code, I completely understand that. And as a technology purist, I love that stuff. And, you know, for me, making that back in the day, you pop up the status bar, how long it takes to do something. Getting like being the force of wind to push that blue dot status bar faster was like my crack. Like I, I loved doing that, whatever I could do on the server rather than on the client, whatever. I loved that getting that status bar to go faster. But the only status bar that matters is adoption. The only status bar that matters is adoption and technology purists. And again, I, I'm in both camps, right? I mean, I really understand both. We look at this and say, but it could be so much more. 
Whereas the network and marketing people look at this and say, it doesn't matter what it is if it's not adopted. It doesn't matter what it is if nobody knows about it. It doesn't matter what it is if it's not actually being used. And it is actually being used. When you say, oh, well, all it can do is store value. Uh, yeah, that's a pretty good thing when you've got fiat currency coming out of people's uh, uh, butt, like, uh, you know, windy, windy farts after Indian food, right? I mean, you, you've got to... You've got to recognize that simply storing value, it's like saying for a fridge or a freezer, well, all it does is store food. It's like, well, that's good because if it's out and you get sick from eating food that has rot on it, that's pretty bad. And uh, it's like saying pre to preppers, well, all you're doing is storing ammo and, and food and, and water. And it's like, well, yeah, that's kind of the whole point. The whole point of money to store value and to measure who has more purchasing power in an economy. So if you look at the technology and you say this or this or this is not present, there's the, if, if Bitcoin becomes the operating system, it's another way that I look at it. So if Bitcoin becomes the operating system and or Bitcoin is like the core code or Bitcoin is like the server code in a database application, like all the SQL stuff that triggers on the server and all of that. And maybe other coins or other methodologies become a user interface to it. Right. Maybe, maybe that's a way that it can work because Bitcoin suffered from not having a user interface in the same way that back when the Internet was infinite DOS, the Internet was was typey. Right. You had to change directories and you had to type in website addresses and it gave you menus and it was DOS. Basically, it was ASCII text characters for the Internet. And what made the Internet blow up was, of course, putting the GUI, the HTML over top of the infinite DOS that was the Internet, uh, that was the Internet. And so making things more user palatable, making things a better user interface and so on. When you're the core technologist, it's really hard to remember. It's the, I used to call it the grandma test to my coders. Okay, take your, take your thing, take your thing to your grandma and put it in front of her and see what she can do with it. Right, because you know we all like moving around in the code stuff, and we all, oh yeah, I get this. I look at this blockchain. Oh, I can read that. I can read binary if I have to, and all of that. But it's the grandma test right now. Again, we have the boomer test, which is a bit of a you know the the boomer investors, the boomers control the most wealth of any generation in in history. And if you can't make things user friendly to them, you might as well not build it if it comes to storing value. And now we finally have a situation where. The, the elderly boomers uh, who were in charge of the big financial institutions are finally getting uh, the, 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 the tsunami of cash on the one hand and the safe haven of Bitcoin on the other. So let's just, you know, you, 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 we, all we're doing right now is we're grabbing people from the flood. You know, the flood is, we're just getting people, oh my gosh, you know, we, we should have better deck chairs and, you know, we, we should have a smoother ramp. It's like, no, we're just yanking people out of the water and putting them on the ark at the moment, right? And, and that's what matters. And if there, it does end up needing to be, you know, the coffee and donuts thing, yeah, somebody will build a GUI layer in a sense between whatever is faster and the Bitcoin core, and there'll be ways to manage it, ways to do it. Never bet against the combined multi-trillion dollar incentive of the smartest people in the world. Of course, there are problems. I mean, that's life. Life, life yeah, is problems. Life is problems. But we have no better way of solving problems than multi-trillion dollar incentives and the smartest people in the world and the greatest danger of the tsunami of Federal Reserve notes coming in from or, or fiat currency coming in from every single government in, in the world. And so uh, I just really wanted to provide that perspective because I was always good at explaining technology to clients and, and people and investors and all of that. And that's the perspective that I got that you got to prioritize off from the code and look at the GUI, look at the user interface and recognize that the market 
for money is more important than the technology for money. The perception, the network effect of money is the greatest network effect in the world because money is ubiquitous. It's universal. We use it every day. Uh, it's everything that, that uh, the economy runs on. And therefore, the network effects matter more than anything else. And getting the information out about cryptos to the general population, you know, we, we win the war, then we divide the spoils. But if we fight amongst ourselves, we lose the war. And right now, Bitcoin is the battering ram that gets us into the general consciousness. And after everybody accepts cryptocurrencies as a whole, then we can say, here's how it's better. But people don't even know what it is. They don't even know what the issue is. Bitcoin is still only 1% to 2% of the economy. And we got a hell of a long way to go. And the more infighting we have amongst ourselves, this complementary development, I think is fantastic. But the complementary developers, in my view, uh, you know, this goes to you, Jared, as well. I could be wrong, but I think that you have to recognize that to get what you want, Bitcoin has to win. To get what you want, you can't compete against it right now. I mean, this, it's, nobody's going to write about altcoins at the moment. Bitcoin is going to bring whole cryptos into the general consciousness. And from there, you can make your case. But if people don't even know what a cryptocurrency is, why it has value, if they think it's just digital gold or whatever, you got to get people educated and people will get educated out of self-interest and Bitcoin is what is going to get, get down the door to the castle. Then we can go in and start divvying up the, the gold or whatever. But I think getting behind Bitcoin is the best and fastest way to get what you want in terms of altcoins. That's been my case from the beginning. So sorry for the long speech, but that's yeah. my thoughts. And, and so maybe maybe B, BTC Maximus, Maximus are a little rude, whatever it is, right? But it's kind of like you Steph's arc analogy we're on the ark and you guys are swimming on a little log and we're like, get on the ark. And you're like, well, you guys kind of have BO, you're jerks, like you're a-holes, right? It's like, maybe we are, but get on the boat. Nah. No, no, no. It's nah. the dishonesty and, and being despicable. Okay, maybe we're dishonest. Maybe we're dishonest. I'll even accept that. I don't think we are. I think we're actually legitimately okay, up so to, 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 but just get on the boat. To respond to Steph's point, I'm, uh, and I'm with the, the point that, Kate, that Steph is making. Uh, Bitcoin's got to win for the rest to win. And that's fine. I'm out there pushing crypto. Core can join me as a community, but that's what I'm doing. Um, and in the same, you know, I, I, as arguing for crypto in general, that's going to include Bitcoin, but, you know, that's not my, you know, that's not my primary and that's not my push. You know, that's not where my, you know, my passion is. That's, you know. Well, yeah, and I, my case is that there's no way to satisfy your passion better than to push Bitcoin. I know, and it feels like, yeah. you know, it feels like joining the, joining the orcs maybe, but, <laughs> but it, it is very much uh, that there's no, better, there's no better way. I mean, it's appealing to your greed. I, I, I love altcoins. I really do because I love a multiplicity and all of that. But um, we have a situation that it's not like so the original uh, infinite DOS of the internet, you had a whole bunch of different operating systems. You had a whole bunch of browsers, but they all sat on top of the original thing, right? They all sat on top of the infinite Unix DOS or whatever it was of the internet back in the day. But Bitcoin is, is kind of not like that. Uh, it, it's not like you, you're just going to need to get people's conceptions out there. People yeah. don't have, they, they don't even know what money is right now. Like in terms of like, they, they think money is, is Federal Reserve notes. They think money is what's in their bank account. They think money is what they borrow from the bank. They think that money is something that the government does. There's no other way to do it. Uh, everything else is weird and wrong. They've never been through hyperinflation. Uh, they've never been through, I mean, they've been through the financial crisis, but the financial crisis was successfully rebranded by the government as being a result of, well, there's just not enough regulation, you see, and we just didn't have enough control and enough power over the financial system to prevent all of this. So right now, 
they are receiving, you know, information and they have since birth, right? Which is that uh, money is what the government tells you it is. And when they start looking at Bitcoin and they hear, well, you know, it's terrorism and it's, 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 it's uh, bad things and, and all that, despite the fact that uh, the, 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 the banks using fiat launder $2 trillion a year. I mean, that's just money laundering, let alone everything else that they do, right? The idea that, that so that's what I'm saying is that um, people don't even know what money is right now. Bitcoin is a something that, that fragments a mindset because even asking, even asking the question, what is money? People aren't even there yet. Now, Bitcoin comes along and says, okay, here's an alternate version of money. And then it's like, okay, does that denormalize people's perception? of money. I mean, to come up with UPB, I had to ask myself, okay, well, I don't even know what morality is. <laughs> I don't know what morality, I have no idea what good and evil is, right and wrong morally is. And so from that blank slate, you can get a lot of creativity. And Bitcoin comes along in a way that nothing else does at the moment, because at least people know. And they also think, why is something important? Well, because people are talking about it. Like nobody was talking about UPB before I came up with it. So I was able to do that. But that's, you know, I'm a philosopher. That's kind of the gig, right? So Bitcoin is coming along and saying, you know what you think of money? It's not money. Like that's, that's just, a, like money is just another government program. It, it's just another, it's the matrix. It's just another government delusion. And you need to break that. You can't break people's stuff intellectually. I mean, I've been 16 years, man. I was doing the stuff in the public. You cannot, and I, I did a whole presentation about this. I wish I'd listened to myself uh, about the death of reason. The people don't listen to reason. And the only thing that they can, the only thing that will get them to start thinking is, a paradigm breakdown that comes from new evidence, right? You, you can't reason with people for the vast, there's the whole problem that everybody in the world is dealing with that we have a lot of unfortunately very dumb people who've been propagandized for most of their lives. And, and how are you going to break that? You can't break that with reason. Now, if you come in and say, well, my old coin is better because this, this, and this, you may, I'm sure you're entirely right. But people don't even know what you're talking about. We have to recognize there's a lowest common denominator we kind of got to get to. And they can't even ask the question, what is money? Because they just point at, at the government, say, what is justice? Well, they point at what's well, called the Justice Department, man. I mean, it's right there in the title. And, and well, what is, what is, is the Federal Reserve a government agency? Well, it's got the word federal in it. Well, you know, Federal Express has the word federal in it. Is that a government agency? Ah, uh, right. And so you just start to just break down the matrix and people, altcoins aren't going to be able to do that. Now, people say, well, Bitcoin must be important because a lot of people are talking about it. Right. And, and looking from way outside our community is how it grows. Right. Looking way outside our community is, is how it grows. It's the grandmother test. It's like, does it break people's paradigms? Altcoins, where there's the view from the outside, it's the narcissism of petty differences. Well, my altcoin does this and your altcoin does that. And my altcoin is more scalable. And people have no idea what we're talking about. It's, it's like you are wandering into a room where people are trying to discuss uh, a complex, abstract, quark-based physical problems. So you're like, okay, but this, they seem very passionate, but no idea what they're talking about. You get very quickly bored and you very quickly move on. But people say, well, Bitcoin must be important because it's in the Financial Times. It's being talked about all over the places. I see it everywhere. And then people are like, okay, so then Bitcoin raises, oh, okay, well, it's a store of value. What the hell does that mean? Isn't, isn't my fiat a store of value? Well, no, because your fiat steals at least two to three percent of you of your wealth every year, and your fiat is based on debt, and your fiat fiat is based on exploitation, and your fiat fiat is held. People, I mean, good lord, you know, people are like, oh my gosh, China has control of a lot of Bitcoin mining. It's like, hello, do you know who buys the most U.S. Treasuries? China. Fiat currency is almost completely controlled by totalitarian regimes. So anyway, uh, that's sort of my my point that you looking from way outside where you are. 
uh, from way outside where you are. And the way to do that, of course, and I, again, I did this in marketing all the time. The way you do that is you go to people who know nothing about what you're talking about and ask them what they know. Just, you know, it's the grandma. Tell, hey, grandma, have you heard of cryptocurrencies? You know, hey, Uncle Stu, who, who's a plumber, uh, have you heard about Bitcoin? Oh, I've heard about Bitcoin. Yeah, I do know what it is. And I just ask people what it is. And then re realizing the vast chasms of ignorance that is out there about what we're talking about, the infighting, which from the inside looks very important and maybe in the long run, it, it certainly is, or it will be the competition. But look, you got to look at things from way, way outside. You say, well, we're going to want to get to 6 billion people using this or one transaction a lifetime and so on. How are we going to get to 6 billion people using crypto, right? Because Jared, for what you want, they have to know what crypto is. They have to know what money is not, which is fiat currency. They have to understand debt. They have to understand inflation. They've got to go through Austrian econ 101, whatever it is going to be, right? But yeah, And I've, I've been doing this for years. Oh, sorry. You're yeah, yeah, you know, that's, 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 that's sort of my, my brief pitch. Right so now, the, the, brief. the majority of my uh, professional life has been as a uh, poker dealer work, or working in a casino, things like that. And so I'm talking with people all the time. There's money moving, changing hands, and crypto comes up all the time. In that community so i've been i've had the uh the the pleasure of talking crypto for I don't know, uh, seven seven eight years with these with these folks um and yeah it's per we're perfectly capable of promoting crypto in general and yeah so like for the most part they're going to say bitcoin first and it's like yep rock on and yeah, yeah so that they, the but they don't talk about crypto they talk about bitcoin uh, it, it depends. But yeah, in general, in general, yes, people think crypto and Bitcoin are synonymous and, you know, gauging where that person's at, you can be like, yeah, that's probably the safest one for you to stick with for right now. Uh, and just having that conversation. But yeah, we are fully capable of promoting uh, crypto in general or or just Bitcoin and having the same net effect. But if, if what you're doing is being pulled along by Bitcoin, go ahead and push Bitcoin, you'll get there faster. You understand? I, I, like if, I, I, if you're I, I, if you're a sled behind a bunch of horses, add some horses and you'll get there faster. I, I hold crypto. I, I hold Bitcoin Core. It's just and and one is capable of promoting Bitcoin, Bitcoin Core, crypto without interacting with the core community. That's I guess that's my my contention. <laughs> just I mean the Bitcoin Core community. It's not even Bitcoin Core. The people that I'm just telling you where more my head's at in good faith. I just think it's in anyone's best interest to get in on Bitcoin from at least the short and middle term and who knows what the long term uh you know like let's like Seth says let's just spoil this um you know figure out the spoils later well like you know I, and i i completely resonate with Stefan with what you're saying but but we can't just wait for bitcoin to like finish its like trajectory before starting to work on other things because you know there's i remember there's like 20 there's like 20 million americans who can't get a bank account like they, they're not going to get into Coinbase to buy Bitcoin. Like they can't do it. And then so we have to work on other options. Tim, the, the, those yeah. other options are being developed right now. Yeah. There's, there's, I a, say there's a couple a of things. billion different coins out there, you know, and then all kinds of stuff's being developed right now. You know, I mean, it, it is out there already. It's just yeah. it's not happening on, on the, the prime time coin, but it is happening. And I don't try to, I, I'm very like honest about it. Like, I don't try to confuse people. Like I said, Bitcoin is like the thing that everyone's talking about. That's where the money is. But just so you know how it works, this is Bitcoin Cash. And then you can actually see how it runs. But that's not the investment one, really. So, you know, go ahead. Well, if, if someone is asking, like, if I don't want to swim in this world of technical details, which one should I just park my money at for the tour group? The fact of the matter is, they're probably better off with Bitcoin Core for now. They've got the name, they've got the market share, they've got all that stuff. 
you know, that's, that's <laughs> where it is at the moment. You know, now there's potential to go for that hat to happen in another way for uh, cash or something else to overtake at some point in some way or some other coin. There's potential for that. Sure. But that's if that individual wants to invest, take the time to invest in learning about these other things and, and learning about, you know, uh, investing in finance and that kind of stuff. And that's a whole nother thing to take on is like moving money around and trying to make money that way, like investments, you know. Yeah. So. And I just really believe that the best way to educate somebody is to actually demonstrate it like in real time. And then. Sure. And that's one of the advantages if they're interested in these other things. But when I, when I'm talking like real estate to someone who wants to get into to, to cryptocurrency, I'm not trying to push him on Tezos, you know, or I'm not trying to push him on anything. I'm asking where he's at and what he's interested in. And of course, he's going to say Bitcoin and be like, you know, hey, rock on. That's here's what you do. Yeah, I also it, wanted to mention, too, that uh, I think it's probably worth. I mean, I am a big one for like, I know how hard success is, right? I know how hard it is to be successful. Yeah, probably it was a bit of an ugly battle. Let's just say a couple of moral corners were probably cut. But no, let's give let's give props where props are due. You know, like, I mean, this thing's now got a trillion dollar plus valuation. It's uh, being talked about um, in all the major newspapers. Talk show hosts are on it. It's on, you know, money shows. Jim Cramer's got Anthony Pompliano uh, on, on his show. I mean, this thing has really worked. And again, I'm not a pragmatist. Like, hey, man, if it works, therefore it's the good. I, I mean, from what Christoph is saying and from stuff I've heard, yeah, there was, there's, there's a couple of bodies along the way. <laughs> there's no question of that. But we also have very little time. And I think this really, really important thing to, to remember. We don't have a lot of time. You know, COVID has absolutely accelerated the decline of fiat by at least a decade, at least a decade. And, and probably it's gone even, even more than that. So the amount of money printing, what is it? Seven bailouts, multi-trillion, endless bailouts and borrowing and so we have an accelerationism here that none of us could possibly have foreseen. And, and this accelerationism is even faster than war. It's even faster than war because, no, seriously, if you just look at it from an amoral practical standpoint, at least war takes a lot of people who aren't very economically productive out of the economy by going out and getting them blown up. Right. So so this is even more accelerationist. This is about the most accelerationist situation that could possibly have occurred to wreck the uh, fiat currency. And so this, say, is, this uh, is why I'm doing these shows and why there's I have this urgency. And I'm sure we all feel this, but I just want to remind the audience that we had a certain, OK, well, it's going to rain. We're going to build this arc and, uh, you know, we're going to try and get it just right, the right number of funnels. And we're going to hire the right band to entertain the people when they come on the arc because the water's going to rise at this level. And then suddenly we look up and like all, all of the, I don't know, some giant asteroid filled with seawater hit the skyline. And we've got like four trillion, trillion tons of water coming down all at once. And it's like, get on the damn arc, get on the arc. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, it's not finished yet. OK, our alternative is to drown. And so for me, the, the accelerationism that has, is one of the reasons I'm back into Bitcoin, is that the accelerationism that has occurred in the realm of fiat is something that is beyond our comprehension. And we don't even know the numbers right now because the numbers that are inside are way worse than the numbers we're hearing about. We don't know the true numbers of inflation. We don't know the true numbers of money printing. Uh, but uh, people, you know, the rich were buying bunkers in New Zealand before coronavirus. 
And COVID, uh, there's no evidence uh, that it's going to slow down in terms of people's panic about lockdowns and opens up and lockdowns and opens up and so on. And uh, so the accelerationism right now is, is that's going on. And I think um, the point of, you know, we have an arc that can hold just about everybody. And yes, uh, people have plans for much better boats. But the rain is coming down, the water is rising, and we're running out of time. And I think uh, if you don't have a well-positioned coin at the moment, it's too late for evangelizing right now, in my humble opinion, right? Because the amount of inflation, the amount of money printing, the amount of debt has gone up. I mean, you've all seen the M1 charts, right? Just going completely insane at the moment, right? So if you don't have a well-positioned coin at the moment, I mean, I feel for you. I wish we had more time. I really do. But we don't. We don't. And I think that the concern, of, like the plans for you're going to get people drowned. I mean, honestly, think of, think of the numbers. If you don't have a coin that can store value at the moment, that, that's well-recognized, that, that's translatable, that's transferable, that's uh, got, got money and, and uh, interest and, and all that behind it. Or to put it another way, if you don't have a coin where a lot of powerful people have invested, because those powerful people are going to protect that coin. They're not going to protect your coin. They're going to protect the coin they've invested in. And that's just Bitcoin. Maybe a bit of Ether, but that's Bitcoin as a whole right now. So if you don't have that right now, I guess my concern is that in your focus on your own coins, I'm not speaking to Jared in particular here. This is just everyone. Again, it's just my opinion, right? But if you, you focus on your own coins, are you willing to accept the potential guilt of uh, people not getting to your coin, fiat currency collapsing, Bitcoin going through the moon, and you kept people off this uh, to some degree because of, of some alternative coin. And again, if we had five years, 10 years, I'd say, oh man, let's, let's view, well, we got time to build boats. We got time to build the boats. But right now we got no time to build the boats. We got no time. And that's my particular concern. So um, uh, I, I, want, I want the altcoins. I'm desperate for the altcoins. More competition, the better. I think it's absolutely fantastic. But the altcoins <laughs> come after the 40 days and nights on the ark, you know, where we can get to some dry land. That's where we can get to the altcoin. So that's my particular thought. Can I say a couple of things? Go for it. Okay, thanks. Uh, first of all, uh, store value is just fine. Just fine. It's amazing. There's no such thing right now. Maybe gold. I own gold many years. But as it goes out, it's, it's not the same. Maybe it's the same, but Bitcoin is something else. Store of value. I mean, so many people wanted that. So many people were was searching for that, and they didn't have it. And now they have it. it it's just fine. And the other thing, I try to talk to people about Bitcoin, such as uh, you said before, Stefan. And it's really mind-boggling. They 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 can't hear you. It's just like fantasy, you're talking about something they, they don't understand. They understand nothing. It's, it's like, what are you talking about? It's just air. It's internet. You, the internet will go down. You will lose your money. You get caught. You're, it's a fraud. No, oh, and sorry, uh, most, most nothing. people, for most people, nothing. That, for most people, that will be the case. Most, okay. most people, most people will miss it, but you've got to have your conscience that you tried, right? I try, I try, no, 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 I try, but I try really hard and tell them, look, the government steals your money. Okay, that's, that's the truth. 
the government sees your money. Every year you have inflation. You know what inflation is? Your purchasing power go down. Every year, that's the, what's happening. And you, you don't understand it, uh, really. Okay, and most people go, what are you talking about? My grandfather was starving. I have the latest iPods. I have the latest iPhone. I have my laptop. I have my 50 inches uh, TV. I have Jaguar. I have a Mercedes. What the fuck are you talking about? And I realized that technology is a problem. We live in a world, technology has offered us cars, TVs, phones, many things. And most people don't understand that every year they're losing money. They've been robbed. They don't understand it. And the reason is their fathers, their grandfathers, they had nothing like this, like we have now. And so they're comparing to the, uh, not next, the previous generations. And they have, and they think, what government? No, but to, to, sorry, let me. I just have a, the new iPhone. Yeah, what yeah, the fuck on, are you on. talking so, about? So let me let me just let me just mention this because in every single culture that I've ever read about, there is a saying which goes something like this. Every single culture, Arabic culture, it's even in, in sub-Saharan Africa, is and it's called rags to riches to rags in three generations. Yeah, we've all heard of this. All they call the shirt sleeves to shirt, shirt sleeves, right? And in, in Arabic, it's something like, you know, my 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 grandfather rode a camel. I ride a Mercedes. My children will ride a camel, right? Oh, I drive a Mercedes. My children will. So if, if people I'm sorry, don't, it's very hard. Well, first, and, and the other thing, people sorry. do understand inflation. That's why there's a stock market. That's why the supercharged stock market occurs. That's why people buy securities and bonds and GICs. And, and this is why people invest because they know that if they don't invest, they're going to lose that. They know about inflation. I think everybody uh, not, understands not, that. Not what they don't understand people. is how it's all built on debt. And you can say to people, it's all built on debt, it's all built on lies, it's all built on force, it's all built on the enslavement of the next generation. And you can say that, and some people will listen. But if you've got yeah. a cure to an illness and everyone thinks that your cure is actually the disease, the, the whole key point is just keep moving. This is marketing, right? So when I was in the software field, we had a very specialized piece of software uh, for um, reducing pollution from very large corporations. And... We were, we were first to market, so nobody knew even about the market. So I'm telling you, we had a metric. It was at least 100 to 1, at least 100 to 1 contact to sale. In other words, you would have to contact about 100 people in order to make one sale. Now, one sale could be $100,000, could be half a million dollars, could be over a million dollars. So that was good. But the 100 to 1 ratio is really important. So when you say, and, and this is this just business. This isn't even something as fundamental as the physics of money and storing value and government and fiat and, and crypto. And right. So this was just, do you have a need? Does it coincide? Do you understand? And, you know, are you willing to listen to a new product? Right. This is not this. Bitcoin's a totally new paradigm, not even a new product. Right. And so the fact that most people aren't going to listen. Yeah. I mean, that's of course, most people aren't going to listen. And at some point, but here's the you're just planting seeds. Right. So what what will happen is at some point people will remember the crypto conversation because everything we give to people sits in their heads, right? And so 
what will happen is at some point, and if you can see this tension a lot, right? Because we've been talking about this stuff for years. Bitcoin is going to the moon and people are really, really tense because they're mad at themselves. They're frustrated. They're angry that they didn't listen, that they didn't. And they don't want to come and say, well, you were right. I was wrong. I could have been wealthy. Uh, you know, they, they just, it's really, really hard. You know, those of us who've lost some coins, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. It's, but, you know, so most people are going to not listen. Most people, but in the, they're not going to listen in the moment. Like, I mean, I've been doing philosophy 40 years privately, 16 years uh, publicly. And um, at some point, people are going to start to listen. And they will, right? It's just that you have to plant the seeds and then wait for the right conditions. You can't make people think any more than you can grow a rose and make it grow. you just got to create the right conditions. So just sowing the seeds saying that fiat is bad, inflation is coming, uh, uh, crypto, uh, Bitcoin in particular is a great store of value. And if you said this to people five years ago, you're just some fringe lunatic who's you know obsessed and thinks that the price of magnesium determines the, the future of the planet or something. But now everyone's talking and they remember, they remember. And then, then you face the emotional difficulty of them being really mad. Like, you know, we're all like, wow, if I had bought $10,000 worth of Bitcoin for 50 bucks in 2010, I'd have $1.6 billion. And we, of course, like we all have that Sorry, particular. They're not even uh, mad at me. They're, they're just ignore it, most of them. No, no, they will, but it sinks in and they'll listen at some point. They'll, but, but the longer it takes for them to listen, the less likely they are to ever circle back and tell you you were right because they're mad at themselves because they're mad at themselves. You know, like, you, you know, you tell some guy to quit smoking when four out of five doctors say it's not bad for you. And then, you know, later he finds out it's bad for him. It's pretty, it's pretty tough. So, all right. So um, Christoph, is there anything that I really appreciate that the history is fantastic. And, and I really uh, thank you for taking the time to do that. Uh, and uh, I also thank you for, you know, what's going to happen to your inbox when we, when we publish this. Um, because you know people don't understand. I mean, you're you're messing with uh, with people's uh, identity in in many ways. Is there anything that you wanted to mention about? I don't know anything that's that's on the horizon at the moment that we need to keep an eye on. That's that's uh, could be a tipping point in one way or another. Uh, yeah. Um, so I think the next big thing in Bitcoin is is really the focus on the Lightning Network. Um, it's it's coming along, um, uh, getting to the point where where less technical people can start using the clients that are surrounding that kind of ecosystem. It still has a little ways to go. I think we still have a ways to go where we can feel really confident that it's going to be um, the same kind of robust security model that we've gotten very comfortable with, with the original Bitcoin blockchain. But, you know, it's, it's showing some promising signs. And even if lightning doesn't work out, you know, there may be other kind of layer two networks out there that will advance on the, on the state of the art, um, you know, the other thing that could happen is if, like you said, if, if COVID has changed the world and, and we're going to see a big dump into Bitcoin and crypto in general, we might see another uh, fee event in, in the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, right now, you know, Coinbase, for example, is a well-known exchange, uh, particularly in the United States. They have, you know, tens of millions, maybe maybe hundreds of millions of, of users at this point, you know, quite a, quite a few. Uh, a good portion of those people are keeping their crypto with Coinbase in their custody, right? And so if they actually want to, uh, something that happened back in like uh, 2013 was the empty ox thing, right? Where this exchange exploded, right? And and they got hacked and people all at once were trying to pull out whatever little bits of Bitcoin they could get from that exchange to the last possible moment. And it, you know, it created quite a, a havoc event. 
Uh, something like that could always happen again with, with Coinbase or, or one of these other uh, exchanges out there. And um, that's going to be tough, right? Because there's there's actually enough people in crypto right now that are that have crypto. In other words, they're they've got deposited with some custodian for them. That if they actually try to pull it into their own wallet and take you know ownership of that crypto in a really meaningful way, there might not be enough space to actually make that happen in some reasonable period of time. So we might see another kind of panic moment like that. You know, that could drive up the price or it could drive down the price. I don't I don't know, but. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see something like that again in the next uh, few years here. I just wanted to um, mention here, somebody says, you haven't lived until you traded 540 Bitcoins for altcoins. Pain City Fam, LOL. Yeah, I think we can take a moment of silence in our minds for, for that. And somebody has asked, what's the Lightning model in layman terms? Yeah, just, uh, just briefly, um, it's a... Uh, it's about taking Bitcoin transactions and rather than broadcasting them to the Bitcoin network, you're keeping them to yourself. You're opening these connections directly with other peers and kind of a new network that's outside of Bitcoin. And you do it in a way so that um, if the other person, so when you, do, when you have a Bitcoin transaction that's not broadcasted to the network yet, it's, it's been signed, cryptographically signed, so it could be, but it hasn't been put off to the Bitcoin network there's a security problem there because it's like then the other person can try to uh, create their own transaction, spending those same funds, a double spend, right? That's the whole point of what Bitcoin is trying to achieve is by resolving this double spend issue. So there could be a, like a kind of a race there to, to spend those funds. So Lightning Network tries to structure those transactions in a way that deals with that double spending issue and allows you to do a bunch of transactions with other people in a peer-to-peer -peer network. It's decentralized still, but without needing to while still feeling relatively secure in your ability to do that without necessarily needing to get those included in, in Bitcoin blocks right away. Um, and so, but it's, it becomes just, you know, but just by my explanation, you can kind of tell like this is a level of complexity that is, you know, a magnitude above just a normal Bitcoin transaction. Lots of people have trouble understanding just the, the Bitcoin side of things. So uh, with it goes all the, the complexity of trying to implement it, make it user-friendly, and, and make sure that the ways that it can sort of fail in complex ways don't surprise the, the users. Um, we're still at the point where if you get into lightning, you're going to run into bugs and some funds are going to need to, some funds are going to get trapped in little pockets here and there. And you're probably need to reach out to your technical friend to try and help you, you know, unscrew those, those funds, uh, which is why they're telling people to use really small amounts for the, for the moment, still kind of very much in the beta. All right. All right. Well, I, I, I've, so first of all, I literally could talk about this stuff all day. So I, I really, really do appreciate everybody uh, coming by. And uh, this is the kind of robust discussion that I think is incredibly helpful to the world Bitcoin community as a whole. If there's anything that people wanted to say as a closing statement, I've, I've certainly had my, my says. If anybody wanted to dive in with the last, last thought, I'm, I'm certainly happy before we close up. Yeah. I just wanted to say, say something positive about the alts which i think often gets overlooked which is that they win when bitcoin wins because all the alts are trading against bitcoin and bitcoin's where all the liquidity is at so when bitcoin is rising in price you know you're getting um that that altcoin that's trading against bitcoin is also getting the gains that Bitcoin's gaining. And we see Bitcoin, um, we see altcoins 
doing really well when Bitcoin's going up and, you know, there's a lot of buy pressure as well. So altcoins win when Bitcoin wins um, for that reason. And also that, you know, I, I got into crypto through um, earning, uh, earning altcoins for free, which is something you can't really do with Bitcoin anymore. In the early days, you could get into Bitcoin for free, and that was really great. You'd be able to mine it on your laptop. Um, so uh, if you want to earn some free crypto, um, and the same way that I did, have been doing for the past couple of years, um, you can use PreSearch, which is a decentralized search engine. It pays you about one cent in crypto per search. And that's a really great way to get involved, to start off with, to set up a wallet, to kind of learn the basics. And then you can kind of, that, that's a good way to start out. So look into pre-search, not already, and you're running it, you know. All right, thanks. Sorry, more. I'm going to need you to mute because something's, I think you've got a ferret attacking your mic or something like that. So yeah, anybody else want any, any closing thoughts? Yeah, I wanted to add, just uh, throw in something here. I've had a lot of folks reaching out. Uh, I gave my... Uh, email address and I got my website. If, if people are curious about uh, some some things I have to say on the introduction to crypto, it's jaredwoodard.com uh, forward slash intro forward slash, uh, or sorry, forward slash crypto forward slash introduction. Uh, and a lot of people are reaching out about what exchanges to use. And I'm not going to go out of my way to say like any exchange in particular, uh, but I would say I would generally recommend at least three exchanges. And if you think you'll ever buy crypto, start the process now because it is a headache. They never have enough support when you really need something. And this is most any exchange. It's, it's hard to get support. And this is really technical stuff, especially if you're not used to the technical, technical stuff. So get started now so that when you, know, when you do want it, you have the option and probably get at least three, set up on at least three exchanges in different jurisdictions, in different geographic places around the world. Of course, go with stuff you're familiar with, research online about the more notorious ones because there absolutely are cases of shady uh, exchanges that take your money and just disappear. So use the obvious blue chips uh, is, is my general recommendation. Thank yeah, you. The, the exchanges can shut your account down. Like they, like I, I know a few people who Coinbase has gone, oh, something seem, doesn't seem right. And then they, they pause their account just to make sure that people aren't, hackers aren't getting in. And, and then it could take like a week or something to get I, out. I worked in support back there and I was on the other side of that where I'm helping the people who get shut down and good gosh, uh, internally, it was kind of a nightmare. It's like, guys, we're sit no one reads their emails. You just send them an email with a link and they click the link, not knowing that that link says, we're going to freeze your account. And then people have nightmares and heart attacks because they need that money for cancer treatment for their wife or whatever. And it's like, for the love of God, people make it, uh, 20 point font size red on fire with skulls and crossbones so that people read it before they click it because nobody reads email. <laughs> Jared, are you ready for me to, uh, are you ready for me to make a totally petty point? Please, please. So people won't even read their emails, but they're totally going to understand Tezos before Bitcoin. <laughs> just, just my petty point. I just, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm above this. Then the, the challenge is on me to bridge that gap. Like, All right. Okay. Anything else people want to mention? Can I add another point? You don't, you don't necessarily need to buy from uh, an exchange. You can just buy from your, your, hopefully there's someone in your life that's been pushing Bitcoin that's maybe watched this thing, hopefully, uh, or you know someone, you can just buy directly from them with cash, right? And then you're, then you're out of any risk on that sense. Uh, and that's what I would recommend, at least for, 
stack of your Bitcoin, you want to have it off the grid would be my suggestion. There's not investment. Consult, consult your lawyer before yeah. making such decisions. And, yeah. and your accountant. And yeah, yeah. None of this is investment advice. Don't buy or sell anything. Blah, 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 blah. Anything, anybody else? Yeah. I just, uh, so I just want to, I've been like one of the primary whiners <laughs> about, you know, the history and, Actually, that's not the word we were using, but uh, I understand that that also could be a word that could be used. Sorry, go ahead. I'm just kidding. Um, and I said it on the last show, but I really just say again, this has really been helpful for me to kind of process. I was naive, you know, and and it's really really helpful for me to like get closure. It has been like a call-in show, in a way, and and then and to just say, man, it is such an honor to be on your show, Stefan. Like, I, I, I know it's weird for you to hear that probably because in your head, you're just like a normal person, but like, it, you're like a, a freaking superhero to me or something like. Thanks, I don't actually feel like a normal person because uh, <laughs> that would be uh, disrespectful to my abilities, but no, I really, really appreciate your very kind words. That, that appreciation is always very moving and I, I thank you for that very much. All right, yeah, anybody else? Too. I got I'm, one or I'm two excited. things to say at the end. Mostly I'm excited just to be here. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you thank for your you. questions as well. Fantastic. All right. Anybody else? Last last chance. Going once, going twice. All right. So I just wanted to mention a couple of things uh, uh, that um, I think is, is uh, important stuff. Um, Satoshi Nakamoto is now the which number richest person in the world? Anybody? Number one. Yeah, no, number he's one. the 20th richest person in the world as of yesterday. And he's anonymous. <laughs> I just think that's pretty, I just think that's, that's pretty wild. So a uh, Bitcoin is now worth more than the three largest payment services in the world combined. That's Visa, MasterCard, and PayPal from 1.11 trillion to 1.09 trillion. Germany's Green Party is a strict opponent of Bitcoin. <laughs> I think that's just, they say, an undermining of the money and currency monopoly through private currencies in the euro area may not be allowed, right? So remember, they don't care about the environment. They're just watermelons. They're red, green on the outside, red commie on the inside, right? So that's kind of important. As of yesterday, the last correction in Bitcoin was 28 days. As of yesterday, I guess today, this correction is 27 days, 27 days today. So um, just, just get ready for that to, to go up. Because there was a while it was cooking at the same price every day, pretty much. And I'm like, Wow, is Bitcoin frozen? Does somebody need to reboot it? Because <laughs> I'm just so used to all of this, right? Here's a, here's a comment I thought it was interesting. If people say, well, what if the government tries to attack Bitcoin? And uh, the statement is um, uh, quite interesting, I think. And uh, uh, what the statement is, is the US government will defeat Bitcoin, just like it defeated Vietnam, drugs, illegal immigration, Afghanistan, sin, cancer, North Korea, witches, civil rights movement, AIDS, P2P file sharing, Iraq, dot, dot, dot. So I think that's, uh, that's quite interesting. Uh, it is interesting uh, that there is a complaint that the whales move there. So cold storage is when it's off the, um, uh, it, it's off the, uh, it's on the network, of course, it always has to be on the network. Cold storage is when you move it off a, 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 an exchange. And just on March 20th, just yesterday, $69 million of Bitcoin was moved from Coinbase to cold storage. You can see all this stuff moving around, right? Which is 1,201 Bitcoins off the market. I think that there is a bit of an issue when whales move their Bitcoins from cold storage onto a market because then people assume that they're going to sell them and then the price can go down. They can buy the dip. There's nothing really to solve about that. But uh, 
Morgan Stanley is reportedly bidding for BitThumb, BitHumb, the South Korea's top crypto and Bitcoin exchange market for a $2 billion valuation. That's quite, uh, quite important. Um, with regards to energy usage, do you know how much energy in the US is actually wasted? Like it's not used for anything productive, just bleeds off, dries off. People, it, it just, do you know what percentage of energy in the US is, is wasted? Anybody want to put a guess as to the percentage of energy generated that's completely wasted? 66%. 50%. 69%. Yes. Wait, are you the 69 guy from my chat window? Anyway, yeah, you guys are bang on. Uh, and uh, it is uh, 67.5% of energy in the US is completely wasted. And Bitcoin, of course, people try to leverage the wasted energy. And uh, this doesn't even count on how much energy gets wasted from stimulus spending, right? Because stimulus spending provokes consumption in the here and now. And so when people talk about, uh, oh, my Bitcoin is wasteful of energy, it's like, uh, you know, more than two thirds of all of the energy in the US is wasted. Bitcoin tries to fix this by converting it into something that can store value. The first Bitcoin ETF in Latin America was just approved in Brazil as of two days ago. Uh, Elon Musk didn't stop with Tesla. SpaceX apparently owns Bitcoin on its balance sheet. Elon Musk ov owns over $5 billion in Bitcoin via Tesla, SpaceX, and personally. And that seems pretty cool. So who's selling? Who's selling at the moment, right? Because you've got this um, low 70s uh, going on Canadian with Bitcoin price. Oh, and by the way, does everybody know there's no such thing as a Bitcoin? <laughs> this is important. The only thing that matters is Satoshis and uh, Bitcoin is just an aggregation of Satoshis, but it's kind of arbitrary. It's a good thing to have, but it doesn't really, doesn't really exist uh, like a dollar would. So the long-term holders, holder is holding on for dear life. It's a typo of hold in a sense. So long-term holders, uh, three to five years, continue to accumulate Bitcoin, but it's the newbies who are selling, the one to two years and so on, right? And the one to two-year-old addresses haven't experienced a full bull market before. So if you've been in Bitcoin, three to five-year-old uh, addresses, they have experienced a full bull market. They know what comes next. And so if you're looking at sort of the cycle of what's going on, the people who've experienced a bull market who've been around for a long time are holding onto their Bitcoins and the newbies are taking their gains, which is totally fine. The newbies are taking their gains one to two years and selling it off, which I think is uh, quite important. March 19th, uh, I shouldn't laugh because it's just absolutely tragic, but not tragic for us. So from zero hedge, the treasury injects a record $270 billion in cash in one day. In one day, 270. Uh, it's just absolutely, absolutely incredible. So um, here's an, another thing too. So to, uh, to feel like a millionaire in 1971, how much money do you need in the bank today? Anybody want to throw that out there? To feel like a millionaire in 1971, how much money do you need in the bank today? $5 million. Uh, 17 million. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a little over $6.5 million. And that's, again, assuming official rates of inflation, blah, blah, blah. So that's how much the currency is devalued from when I was five years old. Now, for some of you, that may seem like a long time. For me, it's not, right? So in other words, if you had a million dollars in the bank in 1971, uh, it would be yeah, not exactly worthless, but pretty close to worthless right now. And that's how much the currency has uh, deteriorated. The first Bitcoin ETF in Canada has reached $1 billion in its first month. And uh, that's, that's pretty cool. 
Uh, yeah, do you know there's no such thing as Bitcoin? Bitcoin is actually a network protocol that tracks unit called Satoshi, or SATs for short, stacking SATs is the big thing. A whole Bitcoin simply refers to an arbitrary amount of 100 million SATs. So there's no such thing as a Bitcoin. It's just another mind-blowing kind of thing, which is, uh, which is pretty, pretty wild. So I think that everything else is kind of graph related. Uh, of course, as you know, Visa is looking to put a layer over Bitcoin, which would be pretty wild. And let's see here. It took 28 minutes for the Bitcoin blockchain to squeeze out a block with over $2 billion. When gold tried to be internet money at, at its peak 2006, it mustered an output of $5.8 million a day. That's 340 days of e-gold in one Bitcoin block a 17,589 times difference. So when people refer to it as digital gold, that's kind of rough because, uh, right. What uses more energy than Bitcoin? Explaining Bitcoin to no coiners. Boom. Boom. That's just a little, little joke there. Uh, Visa announced that they're enabling Bitcoin to be automatically converted to fiat to enable morning coffee purchases. So that's, uh, that's kind of important. Morgan Stanley's announcement to offer Bitcoin to their clients. 5 trillion in April ushers in a new era. A tidal wave of money is about to flow into Bitcoin. Every major bank will follow. Nothing will ever be the same. And uh, so, uh, and more people filed for first-time unemployment the week of March 18th compared to last week. The economic reality is much worse than most people will admit. And that's quite true. Bitcoin adoption is, only, is, is about 1% to 2% of the world. You haven't missed the boat. You haven't missed the boat. So I think that's, uh, that's pretty important. Given just 2.4 million Bitcoin left on exchanges, there are only 30,379 sats left person on earth. Right now, you can buy this amount for $17.50. It's still so incredibly early that it was as of March 17th. And Morgan Stanley becomes, as I said, the first big US bank to offer its wealthy clients access to Bitcoin funds. Uh, that's, that's rough, man. That's rough. It's kind of inevitable, but it's, it's rough. Um, all right. So yeah, thanks everyone. Boy. Time flies. Time flies. I really, really appreciate everybody dropping by. And uh, remember, it's not investment advice. Uh, you make your own decisions. Consult with experts. Uh, don't buy or sell anything based upon our ramblings. Well, my ramblings, everybody else's pointed arguments here. And don't forget to check out Free Domain NFT. I'm doing my non-fungible tokens. Uh, I'm actually going to take some of my productions, which I never release and sell them as NFTs, which I think is kind of cool. The first one is up at the moment. Uh, it's a... Uh, a one-off uh, insight I have not released to the general podcast stream. So thanks everyone so much. I look forward to seeing you guys again soon. Uh, lots of love to the audience out here. I hope, I hope, I hope that uh, uh, everybody's listening hard and, and making good plans. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Take care. Bye. Thanks everyone.